0: August the seventeenth, and we're going. We're going to be reviewing uh, the Watkins Glen NASCAR weekend preview and hot topic sound off here on Fan for Racing Radio. Joining me for today's show is Jay Hughesman and Jay. We have a lot to cover today in a short amount of time. Welcome. Yeah,
1: busy day to add to a busy week, right?
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, Earlier this week, Bodcock Radio had a lot of issues uh, with their phone service. We could not access uh, our podcast to be able to put it on. So today, we are going to do both our review and our preview. So we'll review the races out at Indianapolis this past weekend and review the upcoming races at Watkins Glen. We're starting with the short track news, and all we're really going to do here is uh, refer everybody to Racing America, flow racing, and short track scene uh, for what's happening in the uh, short track and dirt racing world. Uh, because there is just so much that um, is going on, and we're not going to be able to cover it all today.
1: The only, uh, the only two add-ons I'd like to do there would be uh, the SRX series on ESPN tonight coming from Lucas Oil Raceway, and then some of the dirt tracks you mentioned. I know Dirt Vision has also been doing a lot of coverage that we cover, so check that one out as well.
0: Yeah, thank you, Jay. That's a good addition. And then you can always go to srlsouthwesttour.com to see what's happening in the SRL, uh, world. So, uh, the SRL National, the grand reopening of Lebanon I-44 Speedway, August 23rd and 24th, uh, watch for that on the schedule. And uh, there's just a lot of racing going on in the SRL world as well. So, uh, again, coming up on August 24th, the SRL National Salute and tribute to Larry Phillips and the Twin 75s. That's the race that's going to be at Lebanon's I-44 Speedway. And then September 2nd, the Spirit Southwest Tour, the JM Environmental Wild West Shootout uh $10,000 to win plus the pro rate model Labor Day 100 printed by Marcellus Drilling that'll all be at Stockton 99 Speedway. So a lot uh, to look forward to there on the uh SNL side as well. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about, we've only got five minutes, really, to talk about the race that took place last weekend at um, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway. Jesse Love came home with his seventh victory, Jay.
1: He did, but again, it, it was not an easy task, that's for sure. Uh, it's his seventh win in 12 starts, though, to extend his lead in the Arkham Menards Series Championship. Over 11th place, Frankie Munoz, now back 80 point, or 98 points with just eight races to go on the year. Now, this is Love's win and is also his first career Arkham Menards Series East competition start.
0: That's right. Um, let me go ahead. I'm, I'm finding my way here. Here it is. Okay, the post-race notes. Um, Love can clinch the 23 Arkham Art Series championship after the race that's coming up at Salem if he has 99.4. The maximum amount of points to be earned in the final race is 49 for winning the race winning the pole and leading the most laps, plus the 50-point bonus for entering and competing each race in the final five-race segment of the season. Love's main challengers are Frankie Munoz, Andres Perez, and both are winless at this point of the season and would lose any tiebreakers based on wins. Yeah, it's going to be hard to beat those seven wins from Jesse Love.
1: Now, most certainly. Now, on the east side, a little more interesting as Luke Fenhouse closed on William Solwich in the battle for the Arkham, sorry, Arkham Menard Series East with the runner-up finish there at Lucas Oil Raceway Park. Fenhouse was leading in the final caution of the day uh, with 16 laps training, but Love got that jump on the restart to take the victory. But his runner-up finish and bonus point for leading laps combined with Solich's fourth-place finish closed that gap in the east standings to just eight points with two races remaining, those will be the Milwaukee Mile and Bristol Motor Speedway.
0: Okay, now, Swalow, Swalowich, Swalowich, um pressured Love for the lead for much of the first 50 laps of the race and even snuck past, to, past him to take the lead on turn two on on lap 59, but he slowed after making contact with Zachary Tinkle coming off turn four. Uh, That allowed Love to sneak by and officially retain the lead, and that was as close as he could come as he did not officially lead a lap throughout the night.
1: Great battle throughout the night. Third-place finisher Sean Hingrani uh, led some laps as well as he passed Love shortly after the restart at the halfway break but Love would retake the, lap, the lead 20 laps later and then lead until 165 when Fenhouse took over.
0: And Lavar Scott recovered from a near-spin in contact when the turn one, with the turn one wall to finish in fifth place. That was his fifth top-five finish of the Arkham Menard Series East season and his third finish among the top five and three starts with the Arkham Menard Series.
1: And Daytona winner Greg Van Alst, he made his first start since Charlotte back in May, and he finished seventh. Now, Van Alst also made his NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series debut later in the night, driving for Young Motorsports. And he's going to make several more appearances with the Arkham and Ard Series this season, as well as run the remainder of the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series races.
0: Okay. Andres Perez finished eighth and closed in on Frankie Munoz in the battle for the second spot in the Arkham Menard Series standings. Perez is just one point out of second heading into Watkins Glen International uh, for tomorrow's race.
1: And Christian Rose finished tenth, his eighth top ten finish in 12 starts on the 2023
0: season. And Isaac Johnson finished 12th in his Arkham Series debut, driving for Caleb Costner. Johnson participated in the Reese Celebrity Pro-Am Go-Kart Challenge last year at Speedway Indoor Karting, where he is an employee, and he had SIK on the side of his race car this year. So uh, that was pretty cool for somebody uh, making the Arkham Series debut. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on now, uh, Jay, because uh, we're going to go right into a preview now of the Arkham and Art Series at Watkins Glen this weekend. Uh, That race, the General Tire 100 at the Glen, uh, is Friday, August the 18th, at 6 p.m. Eastern time. It will be on Fox Sports 1 starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. They'll be driving a distance of 41 laps cover a distance of 100.450 miles. So pretty cool.
1: It will be and it'll be a big weekend for the Arca Menard Series. The uh, General Tire 100 at the Glen is going to be round 13 of the 2023 Arca Series and it'll be the fourth time the Arca Menard Series has raced at Watkins Glen
0: International. Jesse Love enters the the uh, race this week in the general Tire 100 uh, with a 98-point lead over Frankie Muniz in the battle for the Arkham Arts Series champion. Muniz holds a one-point advantage, as we mentioned earlier, over Andres Perez for the second spot.
1: And with Love's win of the previous weekend there, it's his third consecutive victory with that seventh win in 12 starts. It's the second time he's won three consecutive races this season. He won consecutive races at Talladega Super Speedway, Kansas Speedway, and Charlotte Motor Speedway, and then had a single win at Elko Speedway before reeling off wins at Pocono Raceway, Michigan International Speedway, and then IRP.
0: The Arkham Menard Series has previously raced at Watkins-Glen International, but that was in 2001. The race was won by John Finger. Uh, In 2021, they raced at Watkins Glen, and that race was won by – oh, that was – I'm sorry. Okay, this is a little confusing. It was won by Corey Heim, and in 2022, the race was won by Brandon Jones. So Corey Heim won in 21, and uh, Jones in 22.
1: And that previous win in 2001 was John Fingers' uh, one and only, first and only to date in the Arkham Menards Series uh, start. So he's one of those that holds a spot in history.
0: Yes, he does. NASCAR Cup Series driver Corey LeJoy, and three-time Arkham Menards Series winner in 2013, is going to make his first series appearance since that year's finale at Kansas Speedway. LeJoy's wins have come at Chicagoland Pocono, and Kentucky Speedway.
1: Well, Brent Cruz will make his Arkham Menard Series debut. He's going to drive for the number 15 for Venturini Motorsports.
0: 17-time Series winner Bob Schott will make what is scheduled to be his final career Arkham Menard Series start in his own number 75 Chevrolet. Schott had a previous Arkham Menard Series win on a road course, uh, that coming at St. Louis International Raceway in 1986.
1: Give you a little bit of quick history here. Uh, hit some highlights. The General Tire 100 at the Glen is the 29th Arkham Menard Series race on road course, uh, on a road course in series history. Some previous winners include Fred Lorenzen and Macy Stacy, or Nelson Stacy, back at Meadowdale International Raceway. Curtis Turner uh, picked up a victory at Virginia International Raceway. Elmer Musgrave at Meadowdale. Jack Bausch, mid-Ohio sports car course. Bob Schacht, he picked one up at St. Louis International Raceway. Ken Schrader and Darrell Waltrip won at Heartland Park, Topeka. Scott Legacy on the streets of Des Moines. Mentioned John Finger at Watkins Glen. Justin Algar and Patrick Long at New Jersey Motorsports Park. Justin Marks at Palm Beach International uh, Raceway. Casey Roderick also did it at New Jersey, as well as Andrew Ranger. And then Chris Busher and Austin Ontario at Road America, while Michael Self did it at the Daytona International Speedway. Then Ty Gibbs at Mid-Ohio. Corey, Le- Corey Himes, sorry, at Watkins Glen. And Brandon Jones at Watkins Glen, as well. And then last but not least, Tyler Ankrum at Mid-Ohio.
0: And we, we skipped Taylor Gray at Mid-Ohio as well. So, yeah, that's really cool. Andrew Ranger is the only driver to win more than one road course race in Arca Menards Series history.
1: Let me talk about records. Ty Gibbs holds the Arca Series record track qualifying record at Watkins Glen uh, set in 2021 at 73.771 miles per er, second equaling 119.754 miles per hour.
0: And Corey Heim holds the Arkham Art Series race record at Watkins Glen, also set in 21 at 1 hour, 5 minutes, 32 seconds. That represents 91.968 miles per hour.
1: And the record we don't always like to see, but for the most cautions in a race at Watkins Glen is 5, and that's for a record of 16 laps. That was set in 2022. The fewest was only one for three laps, and that was set in 2021.
0: The record for the most lead changes in an Arkham Menard Series race at Watkins-Gren is nine, set in 2001, and the fewest was two, set in 2021.
1: And again, I always like to wrap up with, uh, should the race need to be extended into overtime? It'll be a one attempt, at a green, a one lap green and white finish. That one's a little bit different this weekend.
0: It certainly is. All right. Um, just to uh, let you know again, that race is Friday, August 18th at 6 p.m., and it will be televised on Fox Sports One. And something I saw in the news today, Bob Pockrus is going to be a pit reporter.
1: I saw that. That's really cool. I've always enjoyed Bob Popris, uh as a pit reporter. I think it'll be really interesting to bring his twist to the sport.
0: It is very, very cool. Uh, and then um, usually we go over the entry list at this point. Uh, I don't know if we can do that here or not. Let me see how many people are on this entry list. Uh, Let's see if we can just mention those people that we haven't already mentioned. Bob Schott, by the way, is from Lombard, Illinois, which is kind of cool. I used to live in that area.
1: (laughs) All right, I don't have that list readily available there, Sharon.
0: Okay. Well, Tim Richmond entry, from right. Ottawa, Illinois is going to be racing the O six from Wayne Peterson, AJ Moyer the O three uh, from Alex Clubs Race Club, our race uh, team. Parker Retzlaff will be in the O two uh, for the Young Group Young Motorsports. Uh, he's out of Rylander, Wisconsin. Uh, Angie Zikaliak from Buffalo, New York will be uh, driving for Kevin Lempir. In the number 78 this weekend. John Garrett in the number 66 from Athens, Texas for Justin Hillenberg Chevrolet. Corey LaJoy, we mentioned him already. He's in that number 63 car. Jake Bench will be in the number 55 for Venturini. Brad Smith in his familiar 48. Uh, we've mentioned Christian Rose in the 32. Casey Carden in the 31. Frankie Munoz in the 30, Connor Zilch in the number 28 for Mark Webb. Chris Wright will be in the number 25 for the Venturini team. Jesse Love in the familiar number 20 for Venturini. William Sawalich in the JGR number 18. Brett Cruz in the 15 for Venturini. Stanton Barrett is back on track in the number 12 this weekend in the Hillenburg Toyota. Driving the number 11 is Zach Herron for Andy Hillenberg Toyotas. Uh, Ed Pompa will be in the number 10, another Hillenberg Toyota. Uh, Jack Wood is driving the number 6 for Max Siegel. Uh, Dale Quarterly will be in his own race team's number 4. And Andre Perez DeLauro will be in the number 2 uh, for the Max Siegel team. So that uh, pretty much covers the... Uh, um, what do you call it? The entries list for the General Tire 100 at the Glen this weekend. Okay. There's an article featuring Brent Cruz at Arca Racing as well. Uh, he'll be racing Watkins Glen, uh, and you can read all about him <clears throat> over at Arca Racing. Uh, and real quick while we've got a little extra time here, the next race for the ARCA East Series will be at the Milwaukee Mile. The Specker 150 will be August the 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay, we'll go ahead and move on now. Uh, we're going to go to the ARCA West race that's going to be at Evergreen Speedway. Um, let pull cool that up. They're racing the Napa Auto Parts ARCA 150 this Saturday, August the 19th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 6.30 local time. It will be available on Flow Racing starting at 9.30, 6.30 Pacific. And they'll be racing 150 laps to cover a distance of 96.9 miles.
1: On well, the Napa Auto Parts ARCA 150, that'll be set to be the 8th of 12 races for the West Series in 2023. It's the 61st time that the ARCA Menard Series has uh, West has raced at Evergreen Speedway.
0: Landon Lewis enters the Napa Auto Parts 150 with a 7-point lead uh, in the ARCA West uh, champion standings. Sean Hingarani is second. Trevor Huddleston, who won the Evergreen in 2019, is third, just 21 points out of the lead.
1: And Tanner Reif is the defending winner of the Napa Auto Parts ARCA 150. Reif won last year driving for a now-retired team owner, Bob Brucanti. Uh He has transitioned into the Bill McAnally Racing Team, though, here for 2023.
0: Hingarani leads the uh, uh, heads, I'm sorry, Hingarani heads into the race this weekend looking for the series leading fourth win of this season. He scored wins at Irwindale Speedway, Kern County Raceway in March, and in April he won the most recent West race at Shasta Speedway, which was three weeks ago.
1: And the other Rife, Tyler Rife, won the uh, season opener at Phoenix Raceway, which is a combination race with the uh, Arca Menards Main Series, will make his second start in a Todd Tad and Kelly Souza's number 13 Ford. Uh, Rife is the fifth in the West Series uh, championship standings, 31 points out of the lead, and just seven points behind of his old brother Tanner, who's in
0: sixth. Now there have been several former winners at Evergreen Speedway including Dick uh, Baum, Bill Amick, uh, Jack McCoy, Scott Kane, Ray Elder, Harry Jefferson, again Chuck Baum, uh, Neil Newberry, uh, Jack Borneman, Ron Eaton, Roy Smith, Jim Robinson, Derek Cope, Chad Little, Bill Elliott. Bill Sedwick, Mike Chase, Jeff Bodine, Rick Corelli, Butch Gilliland, uh, that's the grandfather of Todd Gilliland, Sean Woodside, Kevin Richards, Brendan Gong, Eric Norris, Mark Reed, Austin Cameron, Mike Duncan, Johnny Borneman, Brian Ickler, uh, Jeff Barkshire, Greg Persley, Eric Holmes, Dylan Lupton, David Mayhew. Todd Gilliland, Greg Eggleston, Derek Thorne, Trevor Huddleston, Blaine Perkins, Tanner Reif are all winners at that track.
1: Well, and one of those you just mentioned, Greg Persley holds the Arkham Menards Series West Track qualifying record. That was set back in 2011. Speed or Time was 22.972 seconds, which is 101 point nine six two miles per hour.
0: That's pretty impressive. Jet Markshire holds the track race record for 150 lap distance at one hour 11 minutes and 30 seconds. That means he was going at 81.315 miles per hour and that record was set in 2008.
1: And the record uh, for the most lead changes uh, in a 150-lap race at Evergreen Speedway is seven. That was set in 2013. Now, both Todd Gillen and Chris Eggleston led uh, the entire distance to win in both 2016 and 17. So that's your series record- one-lap leader.
0: Okay. Uh, The distance, the record for the most cautions in a 150-lap ARCA race, West race at Evergreen, is six for a record of 29 laps in 2016. The fewest cautions, the fewest cautions and laps were two for 10 laps, and that was in 2008.
1: And here for this race, we'll be back the other way for the West Series. It should the race need to be extended into overtime. It's an unlimited attempts at a two-lap green-white checkered finish. Should the caution come out on the white flag uh, lap, then it will be unlimited attempts at a one-lap green-to-checkered finish.
0: Okay. Again, I'm going to check and see if we can get the entry list here for the race at evergreen give me just a minute they don't have an entry list posted uh so unfortunately i i don't know if i can give you the entry list there for that i'm going to check one other place
1: as i say both links i had took me to the uh other main series here it is
0: okay i've got it okay you've got david smith in the O five. 5 uh for David for his own race team. Dennis Bradley Erickson driving the eighty eight for Mike Knocky. He hails from uh David Smith, by the way, is from City British, Sydney, British Columbia. Bradley Erickson from Phoenix, Arizona. Do you have it up, Jay?
1: Yep.
2: You okay, also we'll got, go two uh, by
0: two.
1: All right. You got also got Nick Jornidis and Kyle Keller in the 77 and 70, respectively.
0: Driving the number 50 from Agora Hills, California, is Trevor Huddleston. Jake Drew will be behind, be behind the wheel of the number 41, for, and he hails from Bullerton, California.
1: The number 21 of Nasa Mentiento, uh that one doesn't have a driver announced as of yet, but Eric Johnson, Jr., he'll be in the Bill McAnally, number 19 Chevrolet.
0: Driving the number 17 from Ocean Isle, North Carolina is Landon Lewis. He'll be driving Steve McGowan's Chevrolet this weekend. And Tanner Reif will be in the number 16 for Bill McAnally, hailing from Henderson, Nevada.
1: And out of Newport Beach, California, we got Sean Hingarani in that Venturini number 15 Toyota. And then the other Reif, Tyler Reif, in the number 13 again for Kelly Souza, and that is a Ford machine.
0: Driving the number seven Toyota for Jerry Pitts is uh, Takuma Koga from Nagoya Hichi, Japan. And in from Lake Oswego, Oregon is Cole Raz driving the number five for Jerry Pitts.
1: Now the number four Nascimento uh, machine is set is Eric Nascimento Jr. out of Ripon, California. He'll drive that one. And then the number three will be a Kelly Souza Ford. That'll be Todd Susan behind the wheel of that one coming out of Aromas, California.
0: Okay, so there you have the entry list for the uh, Evergreen Speedway race for the Arca West. Now, after the drivers in the Arca Menard Series race at Watkins Glen, they'll be heading back to Illinois. <laughs> for the Illinois State Fairgrounds race uh, that is taking place on Sunday. So it's amazing. They've they've got a triple header this weekend uh, in the ARCA Menards uh, series and the ARCA West with those three races. The last of that series is the Dutch Boy 100 at the Illinois State Fairgrounds in Springfield, Illinois, on Sunday, August the 20th, at 2 p.m. Eastern time, that's 1 p.m. Central time. It will be televised. It will be available for live streaming on Flow Racing, as well as FS1. Will have the television coverage starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central. They'll be racing 100 laps to cover 100 miles.
1: Well, the Dutch Boy 100 at the Illinois State Fairgrounds. That'll be race 14 for the series on the season, and it's the 41st time the Arkham and Series has raced at the Illinois State Fairgrounds.
0: Okay, the Arkham and Arts Series will head to the Illinois State Capitol in Springfield straight from the road course round at Watkins Glen on Friday evening. The driving, the speed limit, the two tracks are 12 hours and 19 minutes apart, a distance of 813 miles. So, uh, they'll have them. They'll be driving a lot this weekend between Watkins Glen and Illinois State Fairgrounds.
1: Well, and imagine this. The first name we're going to talk about, Jesse Love, as he's the defending winner of the Dutch Boy at 100. He won last year's shortened race after a spirited battle with Michael Buddy Floyd over the final laps. Floyd crashed in the car of Bryce uh, Hogberg, who, who himself had bounced off the wall due to a s- suspension failure, as the field completed lap 73. The race, which started late due to inclement weather, then was not able to be restarted due to time constraints.
0: Joe you know, Quarterly will race both Watkins Glen and the Illinois State Fairgrounds. Quarterly has seven career Arca Menard series starts, four of them coming on road courses. His best finish of fifth came earlier this season at Mid-Ohio. And Quarterly also has six career Arca East wins, two of them on road courses at Lime Rock Park. His start at Springfield will be his in the series on dirt.
1: Well, not his first race on dirt for sure, but Ken Schrader, who has 18 career Arkema Nardi Series wins, he'll be making his return to the series driving Andy Hillenberg's Fast Track High Performance Racing team. Well, Schrader raced in both Arkema Series dirt tracks races in 2022, finishing ninth at Springfield and 16th at DeCoin. Schrader's most recent top five finish came in 2021 when he finished third at DeCoin. He's also won the Arkham Ard Series race at Springfield back in 1998. His other wins on dirt include Hagerstown Speedway, the Indiana State Fairgrounds, and then four victories at DeCoyne State Fairgrounds.
0: Yep, he's got an illustrious career, I'll tell you. Okay, former winners at Springfield include Dean Roper, Bobby Jacks, I think that's supposed to be Bob Keselowski, (laughs) Uh, Bob Reback, Bobby Bowser, Bob Hill, Billy Thomas, Tim Steele, Ken Schrader, of course, Bill Baird, Frank Kimmel, the winningest driver in uh, ARCA, Justin Aldauer, Parker Kligerman, Patrick Sheltra, Chad McCombie, Brennan Poole, Kevin Swindell, A.J. Fike, Justin Haley, Grant Infinger, Christian Eckes, Michael Self, Ryan Unzicker, Corey Heim, and, of course, Jesse Love.
1: Well, as you started that list, I thought maybe your name had to be Bob to win at that track, but uh, it kind of got mixed up there at the end. <laughs> now, Mason Mitchell holds the track qualifying record at the Illinois State Fairgrounds. It is set in 2014 at 32.407 seconds which is 111.084 miles per hour.
0: Frank Kimmel holds the track race record at the Illinois uh, Fairgrounds. That was set in 2013 at 1 hour, 2 minutes, 58 seconds. That means he was driving 95.265 miles per hour
1: record for the most lead changes at Illinois State Fairgrounds is nine. That was set back in 1985 and then reduplicated in '95. The only time one driver led the entire distance, though, is in 2022, when Jesse Love led every lap in a race shortened to 73 laps by time constraints.
0: The record for the most cautions uh, in the race at Illinois State Fairgrounds is 12 for a record of 52 laps. That was set in 2000. While the record for the fewest is 3, set in 2012 and 22, the fewest laps run under caution was 11 in 1991.
1: And this race will be under their normal rules, extended overtime. There will be unlimited temps as a two-lap green-white checkered finish. The white comes out, uh, or the yellow comes out under the white flag. There will be unlimited temps at the one-lap green and white together finish.
0: Okay, and now let's see if I can find the entry list for the race at Illinois State Fairgrounds. Uh, the Deathboy 100 has uh, several drivers on that list. We'll go two by two. Moving up in the 06 again is A.J. Moyer from Tampa, Florida, driving for Wayne Peterson uh, in the Toyota. And Alex Club will be in his own Ford, the 03, this weekend. He hails from Morris, Illinois.
1: Out of Athens, Texas, is John Garrett. He'll be in the number 66 Hillenburg Chevrolet. And as always, Brad Smith in his own number 48 Chevrolet coming out of Shelbyville or Shelby Township, Michigan.
0: Christian Rose from Martinsville, West Virginia, will be behind the wheel of the number 32 Ford for Kevin Selensky and driving the Mark Rep. Ford is Frankie Munoz from Scottsdale, Arizona. He'll be in that number 30 this weekend.
1: One I think we need to highlight here in the 25 Venturini Toyota, that is Taylor Reimer out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then, of course, the number 20 is your championship leader, Jesse Love, coming out of Redwood City, North Carolina. And that number 20 is also Venturini Motorsports machine.
0: All right. Driving the number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing's Toyota is William Sawalich out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And then from Sherman, Illinois, Kelly Kolsky will be behind the wheel of the number 16 Chevrolet for their own race team.
1: The 15 Venturita machine we talked about, that's Brent Cruz, comes out of Davidson, North Carolina. But in the number 12, Hillenburg Ford, that'll be Dallas Fru out of North Aurora, Illinois.
0: Driving the number 11 from Elmwood, Illinois, is Tim Monroe. He'll be uh, driving an Andy Hillenburg Chevrolet. And Ken Schrader is behind the wheel of the number 10 Hillenburg Toyota. He hails, of course, from Fenton, Missouri.
1: Not only is the series moving from New York, but you got driver Sean Corr, who comes out of Goshen, New York, in the number 8 family-owned Ford. And then we talked about Dale Quarterly, uh, again, a family-owned number four Chevrolet. comes out of Westerfield, Massachusetts.
0: And our last entry is Andres Perez Delora driving the number two Max Siegel Chevrolet this weekend. Of course, he hails from Mexico City, Mexico. All right. uh, Let's go ahead and move on now. Uh, Next, we're going to do the review. Of the Truck Series race that took place at um, at uh, Lucas Oil International Raceway, um, and that race. Let me see if I can pull up the stats here. It's always uh, okay. Okay. The T-Sport 200 took place, uh, it was a 200-lap race, was televised on Fox Sports 1, and Ty Majewski's timing was impeccable. He went winless during the regular season, but won the T-Sport 200 for the first race in the playoff for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. He dominated the race at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park on Friday, leading a high 179 of 200 laps. Uh, he won stages one and two and earned the victory, locking himself into the round of eight. The win was his first of the season, the first at Indianapolis, and the third Truck Series win of his career. The pole sitter Christian Eckes finished second, followed by Lane Riggs. Carson Hosevar, Zane Smith, William Sawalich, and Raja Karuth, as well as Corey Heim and Matt Crafton and Matt Benedetto, rounding out the top ten. Uh, playoff drivers not finishing within the top ten include Nick Sanchez in 11th, Grant Infinger finished 12th, and Ben Rhodes in 16th. There were three lead changes among three drivers and five cautions For forty-one yellow flag laps, the average speed of the race was seventy-five point oh seven five miles per hour. And Corey, let's see, Raja Karuthi finished seventh. Was the highest finishing rookie of that race? That's uh, about the uh, top ten finishers here, Jay.
1: Well, a huge race again. It was the first round or first race of the first round of the playoffs. And Ty Majeski made a statement yet again. He's been making a statement all year that he's a contender. This was his first victory, though, so I think that was huge. And he made it in a big way. As you use the word dominating, I don't even know if that's a strong enough word to talk about what Ty Majeski had there at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. Um, but looking through the rest of the field, some great finishes by these drivers. You mentioned Daraja Karuth. William Sawwich got a top 10 finish. Uh, I just found that encouraging. I know they're not in the playoffs, so they aren't going to get a whole lot of attention, if you will, for it, but they had some great runs.
0: As did Raja Karuth, the highest finishing rookie of the race, uh, with the Max Siegel Group. Lane Riggs, uh, in a one-off race, had that third-place finish. So uh, some non uh non-playoff contenders in there kind of mixing things up. Now, there were uh, a total of uh, 18 drivers who completed all 200 laps. Several other drivers finished the race going down to uh, 30 drivers actually finishing the race. Some of those drivers... uh, uh, finishing a lap or more down. And some other drivers who had issues, Greg Van also was out on lap 14 because of an accident that was unfortunate for him. Colby Howard had a suspension issue that took him out on lap 79. An electrical issue closed the day out early for Tyler Ankrum on lap 127. And then on lap 28, Spencer Boyd was out because of an accident. Lap 130, it was uh, Dean Thompson out because of an accident. On a lap 140, it was Haley Deegan cutting her day short uh, on lap 140 uh, because of an accident. The margin of well, victory in this you... race was 3.422 seconds. Sorry, I forgot to mention that, Jay. No, that's fine.
1: Uh, I'm glad you hit Lane Riggs. That was another one that I wanted to talk about as far as having a good race. And then of note, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen um, did run in this race, finished 19th. But I think the highlight there, too, was these guys drove, and they drove hard to get those finishes, but they were also respectful of the fact that it was a playoff race, and we still had one eight then, actually seven, of the playoff drivers in the top ten. They never affected their races. Uh, You know, they raced them hard and, and whatever, but they didn't affect the outcome of the race as far as the playoffs. So I thought that was a great job by all of those drivers.
0: Yes, indeed. I would oh, totally agree with that. Okay. I was trying to drive up, pull up the driver point standings here. Um, do you want to go ahead and cover the point standings?
1: All right. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick. Switch over from... Now, this will be the, the reset again. It, it was round one. So, Ty Majewski automatically locks into the next round, which is huge. Uh, I can't stress how much of that it is huge um, for Ty Majewski. So, when you look at the points, it still lists Corey Heim at the top. But with that win, Ty Majewski will leap over him. Now, Christian Eckes moved into the third spot. Carson Hosovar is fourth. Zane Smith, fifth. Grant Enfinger, 6th, Ben Rhodes, 7th, Nick Sanchez, 8th, Matt Crafton, ninth, and Matt DiBenedetto, 10th. Key line there is going to be A spot here, as after these three races, they'll uh, eliminate two drivers. It's still Matt Crafton and Matt DiBenedetto below the line. They did swap positions, and they're still only two points behind Nick Sanchez and four points behind Ben Rhodes. So those two are also still really at risk, especially when you talk about possibly getting a winner uh, from one of those bottom ones that cut line can change in a hurry.
0: Yes, indeed, it really could because uh uh these guys uh, um, have what two more races coming up. Let me pull up that schedule real quick um, they've got this was the first race of their round of uh Uh, round of 10, so they will have a cutoff after the third race in the round, Uh, so they've got uh, two races left in this round, the Milwaukee Mile that will be on August the 27th, and then Kansas Speedway. On September 8th that will be an elimination round on September 8th at Kansas uh, and two drivers will be eliminated so that's how critical this is to be if you're in that cut line area uh, you'll want to have a good race at the Milwaukee mile in order to take some of the pressure off heading into Kansas
1: and it's two different tracks you talk about the Milwaukee mile a short track we know several of these drivers we saw at Indianapolis Good on the short track. Then we go to a mile and a half, and you're looking for some speed, outright speed. So that's going to be a huge shakeup between the two races as well.
0: And I'll tell you what, Ty Majeski is very familiar with the Milwaukee Mile. He he hails from Wisconsin and has raced that track a lot. So uh, I'd look out for him at that track. He could prevent another driver from winning uh, if he were to get a second win.
1: Well, and they talked, I believe it was his crew chief uh, that they interviewed talked about that with this victory. That gives them that freedom. They need to build up some playoff points. Again, they didn't have a victory during the regular season. So they're a little bit sl- uh, lower than anybody else when it comes to playoff points. That could be their whole goal for these next two races, stage wins and then the victory to build up those playoffs to kind of even themselves out when we go to reset for the next round.
0: Okay, now that race at the Milwaukee Mile is the Clean Harbors, 175. That will be Sunday, August the 27th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1, as well as radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM Radio. Um, They are not racing this weekend, so we won't have a preview for the truck series. Uh, But I am going to go ahead and get started with a review of the Xfinity Series race uh, that is taking place at – that took place this past weekend out at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. Uh, That was Saturday, August the 12th, and uh, Ty Gibbs was able to cruise to victory in the Xfinity Series race. Uh, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course, the fastest car met superior strategy, and in this case, the fastest car was Ty Gibbs in the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He won the battle decisiveness decisively over the craftiness of AJ Allmendinger, as the two full-time NASCAR Cup Series drivers stole the show and potential playoff points from the Xfinity Series regulars. In commanding fashion, Ty Gibbs uh, won that race at Indianapolis, the first win of the season in seven starts, and his fourth career triumph on a road course. Sam Mayer finished second, picking up his third top-two finish in the last four races. The pole sitter, A.J. Amendinger, fell to third after sweeping the first two stages. Austin Hill, Justin Gower they round out the top five, Then it was Cole Custer who overcame a spin to finish sixth. Parker Kligerman made a late charge to finish seventh, uh, though he spent the majority of the second stage one lap down. Sheldon Creed finished eighth. Kaz Grala and Brett Moffitt round out the top ten. There were ten lead changes among eight drivers and three cautions for nine yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 77.174 miles per hour. Uh, your thoughts about those top 10 finishers, Jay?
1: Well, the the top half of the top 10, uh, no surprise. You're talking about your road course uh, aces and even rookies that we've seen that are really good on road courses. Uh, there at the end, uh, you listed Sam as second. He got that at the very end over Almendinger. Almendinger was giving it everything he had, trying to make some moves to try and close in to Ty Gibbs, which just wasn't going to happen. But uh, made a little bit of a slip, and Sam Mayer got by. Again, great race. Austin Hill, Justin Algar, Cole Custer, and Parker Kligerman, Sheldon Creed, fully expect to be them there. Ninth and tenth, a little bit of a surprise, not a great surprise. Kaz and Brett Moffitt got top ten finishes, but part of that played into, again, a little bit of aggressiveness and some uh, issues with John Hunter Nemechek. I know wasn't in there. We kind of expected him to be. Uh, Sammy Smith I know had problems, Daniel Hemrick. So there were a couple of spots, but this is the time of year. These guys are in the playoffs or headed to the playoffs for a reason. They're in the top 10 on a weekly basis. Uh, once in a while you get those couple that get to sneak in there and battle their way in.
0: Exactly. 26 cars actually finished on the lead lap and some other cars going down to 33 cars, 32 cars uh, finished a lap, finished uh, the race, although a few of those had did finish one or more laps down. Uh, The margin of victory was 7.959 seconds. That's how far Ty Gibbs was ahead of the second-place finisher at the finish line. Um, Several cars had issues. You had the number, uh, Brad Perez had a brake issue taking him out of the race on lap 24. Ross Chastain had a suspension issue. Uh, That took him out of the race on lap 38. And the very next lap, Andre Castro also had a suspension issue, taking him out on lap 39. On lap 46, Joe Graf Jr. had an axle issue, taking him out of the race. Another suspension issue for Chandler Smith, taking him out of the race on lap 56. And another suspension issue uh, for Ryan Seed, took him out of the race on lap 57. So a lot of suspension issues in this particular race.
1: Well, and that is, uh, you know, it's a road course for one, and second, it being the man-made road course uh, inside of Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway, uh, that plays a little bit of a different factor. It's not the natural road course. It's built with the uh, turtles and the bumps, so that wasn't all that surprising, but these guys know it and prepare for it. I think, again, I think maybe the aggressiveness of them on the track uh, led a little bit to that.
0: Absolutely. Um, I know we're a little bit ahead here. Well, let's do the point standings real quick.
1: All right. Uh, Up top, there was a little bit of a change. Uh, Austin Hill did take over the points lead now from John Hunter Nemechek. I mentioned that problem for John Hunter Nemechek there at the end. Austin Hill now leads by 11 points uh, over John Hunter for the regular season championship. That'll be a factor. Justin Algar still possibly in at minus 34. But from there, it's pretty much set with Cole Custer, Josh Berry, Sam Mayer, Chandler Smith, Daniel Hemrick, Riley Herbst, and Sheldon Creed, your top 10. The cutoff line here, Parker Kligerman is in 11th, Sammy Smith in 12th. Uh, Sammy Smith has a victory, so that kind of takes him out of that bubble spot. Brandon Jones in 13th actually has to work up to Kligerman in 11th, and that points difference is roughly 50 points. Uh, we're already looking kind of at the must win. And Actually, I take that back. Take yeah. One more there. <laughs> there yep, oh, I see it now. I, say, I was moving to that next. Jeb Burton in 14th also has a victory, so that actually moves that up to Sheldon Creed. That's right. They talked about that. Uh, Sheldon Creed is the cut line in 10th at 588 points, so that adds 17 more points to what Brandon Jones and then Brett Moffitt. And again, Moffitt and Grala had good runs, but it's tough to close in on those points when you got everybody finishing in the top 10. So I think we're getting down to it. Uh, victory will move you on. If not, points is going to be really, really hard, barring a bad day by one of those at the bottom of the cut line, Riley Herbst Sheldon Creed, maybe even Daniel Hemrick. But he's got 621
0: points. I really feel bad for Parker Kligerman. He's been trying so hard to get into these playoffs. And with that win by Jeb Burton, it displaces him below the cut line uh, because he's the first driver uh, at the bottom here without a win. So Sammy Smith has his win. That uh, keeps him in that top 12. But Parker Kligerman is the guy that uh, continues to get displaced. And... um, We'll have to see, how many more races left here for the uh, Xfinity Series, guys, before they?
1: I I believe the Xfinity Series has four left.
0: Okay, let's take a look here. Yeah, they do. They've got four races left. So they've got Watkins Glen and Daytona, both in uh, uh, August on the 19th and the 25th. In September, they have Darlington on the second and Kansas Speedway on the ninth. So those are his last four chances uh, to get into the playoffs. But he's going to have to get a win, I think, in order to get in, Jay.
1: That's why I say it's tough. It's barring what somebody else does because no matter what you do, as we saw this weekend, you can have a good run, good finish. But if the other driver you're trying to catch in points – even has a decent day with some uh, stage points, you're not gaining on them. That's the point is you've got to gain that many points on them, not just accumulate your own. Uh, And that's where it gets really hard, like you said. Um, There's a couple that, if the circumstances were right, might be able to point in with their good fortune and somebody else's, I'd say bad fortune, but I think you're looking hard at the barrel of need to win.
0: All right, so there we have our review for the Xfinity Series. Um, Now, I do want to get into – I I know we always need extra time, and we're really short on time today. So I'm going to use this extra time to go ahead and get into the Xfinity and the Cup Series preview, uh, because in between, we're going to have to review the Cup Series out at the road course at Indianapolis. So let's go ahead and get started with the uh, preview here. Of the Xfinity Series race, the Shriner's Children 200 at the Glen, Watkins Glen International, Saturday, August the 19th, 3.30 p.m. Uh, USA will carry pre-race coverage starting at 3 p.m. along with MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR radio. They will race a distance of 200.9 miles over 82 laps. First two stages are 20 laps with stage one inning on lap 20, stage two on lap 40, the final stage is 42 laps, ending on lap 82, so um, again, we're going to give you the Reader's Digest condensed version throughout our preview today, uh, just for the sake of time and in hopes that we can get all of the information to you.
1: Well, I'll start with Casey Carden as he makes the attempts to make his Xfinity series debut, He'll be getting behind the wheel of the number 74 Chevrolet for CHK Racing, attempt to qualify his way into this weekend's race at the Glen. Carden hails from Braselton, Georgia, looking to make his NASCAR National Series debut this weekend. And although Carden doesn't have any Xfinity Series starts at Watkins Glen, he's made one Arkham Menard Series at the 2.45-mile track last season for car owner Alex Chubb started in 22nd and finished 15th in that Arkham Menard Series event.
0: Okay, now on our Rookie of the Year update, Retzlaff gets his third consecutive Sonoco Rookie of the Year race award. Uh, there's 22 races in the books and just four events left in the regular season for the Xfinity Series and the Rookie of the Year class. College Racing's Chandler Smith continues to lead the standings following Indianapolis. He's up 55 points on Joe Gibbs Racing's Sammy Smith in second, and up 207 points on Jordan Anderson Racing's Parker Retzlaff. Retzlaff has been finding his stride lately in the uh, Sunoco Race of Rookie of the Race Award for being the highest finishing rookie in the last three events, including Road America, where he finished 14th, Michigan, he finished 9th, and Indianapolis, where he finished 17th. Behind Rhett's lap is uh, Blaine Perkins at 183 points, and um, that's uh, pretty cool.
1: All right, I mentioned this a little bit. I'll give you a few more details here as far as Austin Hill trying to hold off John Hunter Nemechek for that regular season championship. With just those four races left in the regular season, Richard Childress Racing's Hill will holds that 11-point gap over Joe Gibbs Racing's John Hunter Nemechek for second as they head to Watkins Glen for the 23rd race of the 2023 season. Now, Hill cannot clinch the regular season championship since there's still 240 points and four wins available, but expect those two drivers to do their best to continue uh, to earn as many as possible. Hill's going to be looking to improve on his series track uh, debut at Watkins Glen from last year. He started eighth but finished 30th. This season, though, he's been strong on the road courses, finishing in the top 10 in five of the six road course events, Uh, including a fourth-place finish last weekend at IRP. Now, Nemechek is looking to mimic what he did last year in the series track debut at Watkins Glen. He started 20th and moved up to 12th. Nemechek's performances on road courses this season has kind of been a mixed bag. He has just two top-ten finishes in the first six road course events, but that included a runner-up showing at Chicago and then 13th at Indianapolis last weekend.
0: Okay. Uh, We mentioned it. It's crunch time for the Xfinity Series. Uh, They fly for those playoff spots uh, for the race uh, playoffs that begin at Bristol Motor Speedway on September the 15th. So we know things are going to heat up. Four drivers have clinched their spot uh, in the 12-driver postseason field. They include Austin Hill, John Hunter Nemechek, Justin Aldauer, and Cole Custer. Now, these drivers can clinch uh, on previous wins uh, if there's a previous winner from Austin Hill, Nemechek, Gower or Custer, Josh Berry, Sam Mayer, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, or Jeff Burton. Sam Mayer can clinch regardless of his finish, as can Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, and Jeff Burton. Uh, These drivers can clinch on a previous win with a win from Daniel Hemrick, Riley Herbst, Sheldon Creed, Parker Kligerman, or Brandon Jones. Um, and that's Sam Mayer and Chandler Smith, but they're going to need help. And then drivers clinching on a previous win by um, with a win by Brett Moffitt. Sam Mayer would need 37 points. Chandler Smith can only clinch with a win. And then those drivers, if there's a win by Kaz Grala, Sam Mayer can clinch regardless. Chandler, Chandler Smith would need 39 points. Uh, and if there's a win by Parker Retzlaff, Sam Mayer is going to win regardless of that, his finish. Chandler Smith would need 19 points. If Ryan Sieg wins, Sam Mayer can win regardless of his finish. Chandler Smith needs three points and Sammy Smith would need uh, some help. Uh, The following drivers can win on previous wins. uh, If Jeremy Jeremy Clements wins, Sam Mayer can win regardless of his finish, as says Chandler Smith. Uh, Sammy Smith would need an additional 33 points. Uh, If Josh Williams wins, Sam Mayer Chandler Smith, and Sammy Smith would all win regardless of their finish, but Jeff Burton would need an additional five points. Uh, If Anthony Alfredo wins, then uh, Sam Mayer, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith would all win regardless of their finish, but again, Jeff Burton would need an additional three points. And if Joe Graff Jr. or Brendan Poole win, then uh, all four of those drivers, Mayer, Smith, both of the Smith guys, Chandler and Sammy and Jeb Burton, can clinch regardless of their finish. Uh, Josh Berry, Sam Mayer, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, and Jeb Burton uh, can clinch if they win. And uh, Daniel Hemrick uh, is going to need help uh, even if he gets a win. So some interesting clinch scenarios there.
1: Well, and I know that was a lot of information. But the point there is, this is with four races left. That bubble is way far from being determined. As you mentioned, a lot of different scenarios that could play out depending on who wins. And I know we got a, several of the double double duty drivers this weekend, but we're going to look at two at some road course ringers here at Watkins Glen. You got Kyle Busch and Ty Gibbs. Uh, that are doing so, and they're the only previous winners entered into this weekend's Shriner's Children's 200. Um, There's going to be a couple that will be giving them the run for their money to add to their Watkins Glen trophy case, though. Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar, he's made 11 starts on Watkins Glen road course, posting four top fives and seven top ten finishes. He's been dominant on road courses all season long, posting impressive finishes of no worse than seven. At uh, Austin, he was fifth. Portland runner-up, Sonoma, seventh. Third at Chicago, and then Indianapolis Road Course this past weekend of fifth. His teammate, though, at JRM, Sam Mayer, he's riding a road course high as he posted his first-ever NASCAR Xfinity Series win coming at Road America a few weeks ago, and then that runner-up finish last weekend at Indianapolis Road Course. So he'll be looking to ride that momentum into Watkins Glen a track where he's made two, two starts so far, posting top 10 finishes in both. And so Haas Racing's Riley Herbst. He's still looking to post his first Xfinity win. Uh, Watkins Glen International, though, could be the place to make it happen. Four drivers have posted their first career Xfinity Series win at Watkins Glen all time. Those include NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott, and road course aces Ron Fellows and Marcus Ambrose, as well as Austin Sendrick. Now, Herbst has only made two starts at the track, but he's posted a 13th-place finish and 7th-place finish, respectively. He's had some other solid finishes on road courses this season, though. He was 10th at Austin, Road America 5th, and came home 12th at Indianapolis Road Course last weekend.
0: Okay, and since we're a little bit ahead here, I will go ahead and cover this. Um, Watkins Glen has hosted 28 Xfinity Series races, producing 17 different race winners and just as many poll winners. Nine races were won from the pole or for the first starting spot, most recently by, by Joey Logano in 2018. Terry Labonte, Marcus Ambrose have set the tracks winning as drivers in the series. They each have four wins. Labonte won the inaugural race in 91, followed by three consecutive wins uh, in 94, 95, and 96. Ambrose also had three consecutive wins from 2008 to 2010, followed by a win in 2014. Cup Series regular Ty Gibbs, who just snagged his first Xfinity Series win of the season last weekend at the road course at Indy, will once again be pulling double duty this weekend behind the wheel of the JGR Toyota number 19. He and Kyle Busch are the only former winners entered in this weekend's Xfinity Series race. And drivers will have an action-packed Saturday as they head to practice at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, followed by qualifying at 11 a.m. and both streamed on the NBC Sports app. So uh, we'll go ahead and move on now to the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, Actually, we need to do the review of the Cup Series race first. Uh, The NASCAR Cup Series race at um, Indianapolis Road Course, that took place um, last weekend in Indianapolis. And uh, Michael McDowell was able to grab his Cup Series playoff spot with a win at that Indy road course, running a race he knew he could win, McDowell held off Chase Elliott at the Brickyard and grabbed a spot in the Cup Series playoffs. The driver in the number 34 front row Motorsports Ford led 54 of 82 laps at the road course and featured just one caution that ran, uh, ran under a green flag for the final 77 laps. Uh, the win was his first of the year and the first at Indianapolis and the second career win for Michael McDowell. Chase Elliott finished in second, followed by pole sitter Daniel Suarez, Tyler Reddick, Alex Bowman, Chase Bristol, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Shane Van Gisbergen. Uh, they're saying here rounded out the top ten. McDowell led 54 of 82 laps, including the final 30 laps of the race. Stage 1 won by McDowell, stage 2 by Denny Hamlin. There were 10 lead changes among 7 drivers with no cautions at stage breaks at road courses. There was only one caution for 3 yellow flag laps. Your thoughts about the top 10 finishers on the N D road course.
1: Well, I know it's kind of a cheesy joke, but Larry McReynolds has been using it for the past week or so, uh, taking a snow globe, one of the uh, kids' snow globes, and shaking it up. And we saw that this weekend with Michael McDowell's victory. First off, I am so happy for him. We've seen him right there running top 10 every week, really close in the uh, playoff bubble on the points line, but getting that victory secures it, and that really shook things up all the way down. But you've got to look at what, uh, who he was racing and what came behind him. Chase Elliott and Daniel Suarez, two others that are trying to race their way in now um, into the playoffs and were ever so close. Uh, you talk about having Chase Elliott, the road course driver that he is, closing in on you on those final laps. Uh, if you listen to in-car uh, audio, that was the only thing Michael McDowell wanted to hear in those final, I think, four or five laps. He told his crew, just don't tell me anything other than his time, because he was so focused and just making sure he had a gap to Chase Elliott as he knew he was coming. Um, Alex yeah, Bowman, though, right. another good Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was a great race. I, I, I know I've talked about this real quick of them going back to the main one, this race almost makes me feel like maybe they should stay running on the Indianapolis Road course, but <laughs> we'll see what they do in the future. Um, you mentioned uh, Shane Van Gisburg and finished in the 10th uh, spot. This race, he was a little more uh, in the back and battling it out. I know he had some bumps along the way. I don't think he did anything egregious as far as that. You know He played rough with them just like they do with him. But a good run by him, and I think he's establishing himself as we expect him to race more with them here in the future. The cut Absolutely. line, though, I know we cut, that's the top ten, but I think we're going to have to look at that cut line uh, because it's very important now.
0: It certainly is. The margin of victory in this race was only .937 seconds, so it was a close finish uh all of the drivers finished this race although uh there were only 22 of those drivers who finished on the lead lap so nobody had any uh, mechanical issues Uh, like we said it ran pretty much only one caution for the entire race for three laps uh and that was lap three to five for an incident in turn six by the number 31 Uh, which is highly unusual for a road course Uh, so really amazing that all of these cars ended up finishing that race you're right
1: it was and there were some uh, incidences as we said I know that we they moved NASCAR moved the start finish or not the start finish line the restart zone sorry back a little ways and I think we'll talk about that in hot topics I'll get that up on the list but that um, helped some, in my opinion. We'll get into that. But we didn't see the one big wreck or major disaster. We had a couple. Joey Logano, I don't know if he had a nap coming down the front straightaway. Um, turn came up a little bit earlier. Uh, A.J. Almeninger and Ryan Blaney had a situation. But none of them were end, day-enders, if you will. So that was, and then again, you mentioned it was actually the, only the one full-course caution, which I don't have a problem with. I know we took away the stage breaks and that brought some restarts. That's always interesting. But to see these top professional drivers have that kind of race, I think is encouraging, you know, if you get to see that every once in a while like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and cover the points here.
1: All right. Hopefully that's already loaded. Uh, it is. Um, this one, the regular season championship leader, Martin Truex, now has a 60-point lead over Denny Hamlin. I can't give it a guarantee yet mathematically, but pretty much locked down over uh, Denny Hamlin. Then you got William Byron, who's falling back to 104 points out. Again, i, I would not doing the math in my head. It would be really tough, I think, for him to close that up in these final two races. Then you got Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson. Kevin Harvick in sixth spot, the first one without a victory. Ross Jastain, Brad Keslowski also doesn't have a victory yet. Uh, Ryan Blaney, Chris Buescher, Kyle Busch, Tyler Reddick, Joey Logano, and that's through 13th. Then you get into 14th is Bubba Wallace. 15th is Michael McDowell. 16th is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. McDowell's uh, win obviously locks him in. So that means Bubba Wallace, Ricky Stenhouse. Now, Stenhouse has also got a victory, sorry. That guarantees him in. So from 14th to 17th is the gap. Daniel Suarez now on the outside looking in by 28 points. Uh, Ty Gibbs an additional 21 points back. Again, they're looking at pretty much must win, barring something um, tragic to their competition. Case Elliott in points is up to 19th, as well as Alex Bowman in 20th, who have missed races this year. Then you got AJ Allmendinger, road, race, uh, road course ace. We're going to Watkins Glen. It's going to be interesting, as well as Austin Sindrick right behind him. And what I wanted to talk about real quick with the points here, I feel bad. Bubba Wallace knows road courses aren't his thing. He had built up a 50-some point lead going into this race, ran a solid race, I think he finished 18th, but with Michael McDowell winning, he actually lost half of those points, down to 28 points um, from the cutoff line, and we're going to another road course this weekend, as well as wrapping up at Daytona. And as I was reading those, I mentioned Kevin Harvick and Brad Keselowski. If we were to get two new winners in these next two races, which is very possible, uh, Harvick and Keselowski are going to be the cut line then battling in points between the two of them. I mentioned Kevin Harvick is actually 6th in points, Kozlowski 8th. That cut line could be between the two of them.
0: That's amazing, isn't it? Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on now to the Cup Series preview. Uh, They're racing the Go Bowling at the Glen, Watkins Glen International Sunday, August the 20th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be uh, pre-race coverage starting at 2.30 p.m., Eastern, and the USA Network, as well as MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. They will race 90 laps, covering a distance of 220.5 miles. First two stages, again, are 20 laps each. The last stage is 50 laps, uh, and that ends on lap 90. So, again, we'll go bottom up. We're giving you the Reader's Digest version because we have a lot to cover here in the Cup Series.
1: Well, I mentioned it, uh, didn't specify it, but it was a winless streak that was snapped from Michael McDowell. He's the latest to jump into that win column. Driving for Front Row Motorsports, he snapped a long winless streak, 94 races, uh, which bodes the question of who's going to snap that streak next. Uh, there's been 14 different winners this season, and a 15th could happen this weekend. we we'll Take a look at those winless streaks of drivers that have not won Yet this season, Justin Haley. Just cover the races at, r- since their
0: last win, Jay. Say that again. Just cover the race the the drivers and races since their last win.
1: Yep, um, Justin Haley. It's been 150 races. Brad Keselowski is at an 86 uh, race streak. Eric Almarola sits at 74, A.J. Allmendinger 72, Austin Sindrix is 59, Alex Bowman 57, Chase Briscoe 56, Daniel Suarez is is 44, Kevin Harvick on 36, Austin Dillon's at 34, Eric Jones 33, Bubba Wallace mentioned at the line at 32, and then Chase Elliott at 29. Three drivers are looking for their first win of the 2023 season, that are former Watkins Glen international winners, Chase Elliott in 2018 and 19, Eugene Almanegger won back in 2014, and Kevin Harvick in 2006.
0: Okay. Now, Larson is going to look to become the third driver of all time to win three straight at Watkins Glen. He, of course, is from Hendrick Motorsports, He's the winner of the last two Cup Series races at Watkins Glen and now he heads to New York this weekend looking for that third straight win at the 2.45 mile 4-5 mile road course. He could join NASCAR Hall of Famer's Mark Martin who won there from 93 to 95 and Jeff Gordon from 97 to 99. In total 6 drivers have won consecutive races uh, Watkins, Glenn, in the Cup Series. We mentioned Jeff Gordon and Mark Martin. Kyle Larson has, has two wins. Uh, Chase Elliott has two wins between 2018 and 19. Marcus Ambrose from 2011 to 12. And Tony Stewart from 2004 and 5. Now, Larson made eight stars at Watkins Glen, collecting two wins, three top fives and five top tens. His average finish at the course is 10.5, that's the sixth best. He also has a pre-race average running position of 11.387, that's fourth best, and a driver rating of 97.2, which is fourth best at Watkins Glen.
1: Write the list to put your name on there. Now, with Front Row Motorsports McDowell, Michael McDowell becoming a 14th different Cup Series different winner through the first 24 races of the 2023 season. The next-gen car, once again, having one of its best seasons of racing ever. With two races left in the regular season, we could possibly see a 15th or 16th different winner heading into the playoffs. If that were to happen, it'd be the first time since the inception of the playoffs in 2004 that the series has produced 16 or more winners in the first 16, in the first 26 races. Sorry, of a given year. On average, the Cup Series has produced 12.4 different winners in the first 26 races of a season since that 2004 season. 2023 is tied with 01, uh, 7, 12, 17, and 21 seasons the second-most winners through those first 24, and that's covering the modern era of 1972 to the present. The 2002, 3, 11, and 22 hold the record for that most different winners through the 24 races at 15 each. So if we see two different winners here this in the regular season, that would set the record for the most different winners in the 26 regular season playoff era, which is 04 to present. That would be 16. And I I feel it really could happen.
0: Yeah, I think it could. In fact, there's one driver that wants to make it happen, and that's Ty Gibbs from Joe Gibbs Racing. He's looking for a win that would give him a playoff berth, and he's looking for that win at Watkins Glen. He's had a strong first year with two races left in the Cup Series regular season. Uh, The 2022 Xfinity Series champion still has a chance to earn his spot into the playoffs. Uh, and he hopes to make it happen at Watkins Glen. Uh, He has managed to put up uh, one top five, six top tens in his 24 starts this year, heading into this weekend at the Glen. He's ranked 18th in the playoff standings outlook. That puts him on the outside looking in. He's 49 points back from Bubba Wallace in that 16th final transfer spot. If Gibbs were to make the postseason this year, he would be just the sixth rookie in series history to accomplish that feat. He would join Denny Hamlin, uh, Chase Elliott, Chris Buescher, Cole Custer, and Austin Sindrick who were all able to do that. Four-cup series drivers all-time, a post-series career win at the Glen, and uh, Gibbs, who is a skilled road racer in his own right, is looking to become the fifth. So Steve Park uh, did it in 2000, Marcus Ambrose in 11, A.J. Allmendinger in 14, and Chase Elliott in 2018. A total of eight drivers that visited Victory Lane in the Cup Series last season are still looking for their first win, and we've kind of outlined them, Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, Bowman, Sindrick, Austin Dillon, Bubba Wallace, Briscoe, and Eric Jones. Elliott led the series in total wins last season with five. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Can Ty Gibbs do it as a rookie?
1: Well, he's going to have to battle through some road course aces when we look at NASCAR's best at road racing. The cup drives will be challenged by the twists and turns of a multi-elevational road course at Watkins Glen this weekend and the go bowling at the Glen. Several drivers still looking for their first win in the season. We mentioned Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott leads all active driver drivers in road course wins with seven victories. Now Elliott is already considered one of the early favorites for the weekend, but keep an eye on two most recent winners on road courses in the series. That's Martin Truex Jr. who did it at Sonoma, and Michael McDowell here from Indianapolis, as they'll certainly be in the mix as well on the weekend. There are going to be 14 former series road course winners entered into this weekend's NASCAR race at Watkins Glen. With active wins, we got Chase Elliott at seven. Martin Truex has five. Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson have four. Tyler Reddick, three. Kevin Harvick has a pair, as well as A.J. Allmendinger and Christopher Bell. And then Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, Daniel Suarez, Ross Jastain, and now Michael McDowell each have one. And the Cup Series has competed on four road courses so far this season, with 23 Eleven Racing Tyler Reddick winning at Austin, which is uh, Circuit of Americas. Joe Gibbs Racing Martin Truex uh, out at New Zealand, or, I'm sorry, out at Sonoma. Coming from New Zealand uh, is Trackhouse Racing driver Shane Van Gisbergen, uh, who won the Chicago Street Race, and now Michael McDowell on that list at Indianapolis. Now, if Chase Elliott were to win this weekend, he would tie NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart with eight road course wins for second on the all-time NASCAR list of road course wins, being behind only Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon, who has a record nine victories on road courses.
0: Okay, well, NASCAR's uh, five-time most popular driver from 2018 to 12, Chase Elliott, He's also the 2020 series champion, heads into the last two races of the regular season, ranked 19th, as we mentioned, in the playoff points. He's 80 points back from Bubba Wallace in the transfer spot. And though it's mathematically possible for him to earn his way into the playoffs on points, Elliott really needs a considerable amount of help to do it. And most likely, the Georgia native will need a win to uh, get in. Elliot's streak of making the playoffs the last seven consecutive seasons dating back to his rookie year is in jeopardy. Elliot had a season unlike any in his career last year, uh, he had... This year, he missed races due to an injury and because of a suspension, and through it all, he's managed to give himself a shot at the postseason with two races to go. He came close to winning last weekend as he finished second to Michael McDowell in the Indy road course. This season, Elliott's made 17 starts, putting up six top fives and nine top tens. You can watch for him to challenge for the win this weekend at Watkins Glen. Uh, He's taken the New York Wrote to the New York road course quite nicely, having made six starts at that track, posting two poles, two wins and four top fives. Plus, he leads all active drivers in average finish at Watkins Glen at 5.667. We'll see if he can keep that going this weekend.
1: Well, one spot definitely up for uh, points battle is the battle for that final playoff spot right now, and that's Wallace and Suarez. As we had another new winner at the Indianapolis Road Course in Michael McDowell, we now got Bubba Wallace driving for 23-11 in the 16th and final playoff spot, uh, up 28 28 points over Trackhouse Racing's Daniel Suarez in that 17th spot. With just two races to go on the year, the tensions will be high as those drivers will be vying for that final post season position at Watkins Glen International. Bubba Wallace is looking to earn a spot in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs for the first time in his career. In 24 starts on the year, he's put up four top fives and six top tens. His average finish for the year is 17.2, but he still will have his work cut out for him this weekend at Watkins Glen his more challenging tracks on the schedule. Four starts on the road course, he has a best finish of 23rd, average finish of 27.8. He was 35th in the, the event last season due to a suspension issue. Now, if he can hold his position through Watkins Glen this weekend, his chances of earning that playoff uh, spot would increase as the regular season finale is one of his best tracks at Daytona. When we look in his rearview mirror, though, Trackhouse racing's Daniel Suarez in 17th, Suarez is hoping to catch Wallace over these next two, two races to secure his spot in the playoffs for the first, uh, or he earned his first playoff berth of his career last season and wants nothing more than to get back into it. Now, in contrast to Wallace, Suarez has excelled at Watkins Glen international. He's made five career starts at the 2.45 mile road course, posting three top five finishes and an average finish of 12.0. And that's ninth best among active drivers. And you finished fifth there at Watkins Glen last year.
0: Okay, I'm going to kind of wrap this up um, and just kind of let you know, we've kind of gone over the points already, so you kind of know how that stands. Uh, But just know that uh, Joe Gibbs Racing's uh, Martin Truex could clinch the regular season championship at Watkins Glen this weekend. Uh, Truex's likelihood of becoming the second driver to win multiple regular season championships on Sunday is a decent possibility. If he accomplishes the feat, uh, Truex, uh, would do it in 17 and 23. He joined Kyle Bush, who did it in 18 and 19, uh, and would have more than one. In total, only five drivers have won the Cup Series regular season championship. Uh, Bush in 17, uh, I'm sorry, Truex in 17, Bush in 18 and 19, Harvick in 20, Kyle Larson in 21, and Chase Elliott in 22. And then, um, just know that, uh, let's see here. All the Cup Series on-track action is going to begin with practice in the Bush Light Pool qualifying at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on the USA Network. So uh, active drivers with race wins at the track include Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Busch with two. Martin Truex, Denny Hamlin, Logano, Almondinger, and Harvick all have one win at that track. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend. All right, that's a kind of a wrap-up there. And uh, we're heading into the top of the hour, which means it's almost time for Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. And I know uh, we've got um, Michael Zell. Let me bring him into the queue. He's already here. So uh, first of all, we'll say welcome to Mike. Oh, good afternoon, everybody. And also joining us is uh, Brian Everly. Welcome to the show, Brian.
3: Hey, how's it going? That was a very jovial hello, Mike. I don't know if I can keep up with that one, but how are you guys doing?
0: (laughs) We're doing really well. Okay, we're uh, ready for Hot Topic Sound Off, so let's start uh, with our first Hot Topic, and Brian, I'm going to let you kick it off.
3: All right. Well, I guess, um, what do we want to start with? I guess maybe let's just start talking about how the race ended last week at Indy with Michael McDowell and kind of the surprise winner and kind of how that shakes up the playoff picture.
0: Okay. That, that ties into what we were just talking about with the, uh, uh, preview of the race this weekend, but let's talk about that because that did shake things up quite a bit. Mike, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I don't know that I would necessarily characterize Michael McDowell as a surprise winner last weekend. Uh, He's always done very well in road courses throughout his career, and front front row motorsports has shown more and more speed uh, year over year, and especially this year, they're not quite a, a contending team every single week. But Michael McDowell has quietly had the best season of his career this year. He's finally broken into victory lane, but if you've been paying attention, he's been sneaking in there for a lot more uh, top uh, top ten finishes than he ever has in his career before. So not a huge surprise he ended up getting it done at in Indianapolis. Uh, it may have been a little bit of a surprise about how dominant he was at that racetrack. Really, nobody had anything for him, uh, but the, the the win for him was, was really good to see. How that plays into the playoff picture, kind of like the, the discussion you guys were having prior to getting into the Hot Topics segment, it sort of throws it upside down a little bit, but not really. McDonald was in the, that bubble position as well. He's just and has now secured himself in the playoffs uh, with that win. What that means for drivers like Daniel Suarez, Obama Wallace, Ty uh, Gibbs, and Chase Elliott is, Elliott is most likely, like you said before, he mathematically can point his way in, but realistically he needs to win either this weekend at Watkins Glen or next weekend at Daytona. I would say this weekend at Watkins Glen is probably Elliott's best chance based on both of his prior success at that racetrack as well as them being in a little bit more control over the circumstances there. Daytona tends to be a little bit more of a random wild card kind of a race. So, Ellie, I, I, they, the nine team has got to have Watkins-Glen circle. I know they say they don't circle racetracks but they, they've got to have this one highlighted as probably their best opportunity. Um, Daniel Suarez, also a very good road course racer. Uh, he was in contention at Indianapolis, and it really had the fastest car on the track for a large portion of the race. They had the mistake on pit road that put them behind and cost them track position that they really never recovered from, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Suarez running up front again at this weekend. Ty Gibbs is just outside of that bubble discussion. He had a little bit of a rougher weekend last week at Indianapolis despite winning the Xfinity Series race. However, he tends to be a very good road course racer, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Ty Gibbs in that number fifty fourteen in contention this weekend as well. Bubba Wallace is probably... Uh, trying to get by this weekend and limit the damage. They talked about it during the uh, the broadcast for Indianapolis, NBC talked about it, where the 23 team, they know that they are, te- they are historically weaker on road courses, and the goal here at Indianapolis as well as Watkins Glen for them has got to be to survive and get to Daytona still in the position to, if not win the race, at least be in striking distance points wise because they know their competition with Ty Gibbs Chase Elliott and AJ Allmendinger all tend to run well on the road courses, where the 23 team does not. It's going to be an interesting two more weeks here as we come into a road course and then the Super Speedway, and there, it definitely favors some drivers and hurts others. So we're going to have to see how teams can capitalize and limit mistakes and really set themselves up to either make the playoffs or miss it.
0: Okay, Jay, your thoughts. <clears throat>
1: Well, it's one, it's one of those where I'm going to agree with Mike but disagree with him. I, I agree. It wasn't a complete out-of-the-blue surprise. However, he mentioned it was a dominant victory, not just picked up the win, as he's been running top five and to top ten this year and was in the 16th, 17th area for point, the points battle based on that consistency. But to be that dominant, to outrun Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, as we know where they've been on road courses, that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I don't want to say even to Michael McDowell as they knew they were improving, but they really said they felt like they had the car. They just needed to make sure they finished with it, and he did, stayed out in front uh, front of all of it uh, for the entire race. So that was a little bit of a surprise. The part I really disagree with Mike, though, is he said there wasn't much of an impact on the point standings, the playoff bubble, and I disagree with that. Uh, Michael McDowell was in that battle uh, when it came to points, but he locked himself in. Bubba Wallace, as I mentioned earlier, had built up 58-point gap. That was cut in half, and he had a decent race, not a top 10, but a decent race, stayed out of trouble, and came home with uh, the car running, which was his goal. Had uh, Michael McDowell not won the race, he'd have been in an even better points position. But instead, that points battle got cut in half. But what I'm looking at is even now down the road, and let's just throw out, A.J. Albenner winning at uh, Watkins Glen, I don't think anybody would argue against that. It's a a possibility. That puts him in on on a win. Any driver that doesn't have a victory winning at Daytona, you can't make an argument against because it could happen. I'm going to use Chase Elliott. That then puts the points battle between Kevin Harvick and Brad Keselowski who right now are six and 8th in points, had a 150-plus point lead going into Indianapolis. They could be the ones battling for points coming out of Daytona if we get those two new winners, which isn't really all that out of the realm of possibilities. So I think it had a huge impact on the points.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with you, Jay. I don't think anybody's surprised that Michael McDowell won because he has been good on road courses, but he won in a dominant way. And he needed that win because it, had he been at zero wins at this stage going into these last two races, he'd be the guy that would get bumped out. So that win was crucial for Michael McDowell. Um <clears throat> and there are a lot of drivers that are below that cut line that could still get a win at Watkins Glen or even at Daytona because as we know Daytona is a wild card if Michael McDowell doesn't have that win he is very very vulnerable he is at the he is the first vulnerable driver at both of those tracks so that win takes a lot of pressure off of him uh, heading into these next two races, and I think it's highly possible that Chase Elliott, Ty Gibbs, Daniel Suarez, um, Austin Cindric's a good road course raider, racer, so is IJ Almendinger. All of those guys could get a win at Watkins Glen, and that puts Michael, that puts uh, Bubba Wallace out. So as Jay's already pointed out, that means that the next two vulnerable drivers. Well, the next one is Brad Keselowski, and then above him is Kevin Harvick. So <clears throat> Brad Keselowski is not safe, depending on who wins these next races. They're all hoping that it's a driver that already has a win, but if there's a driver that's below that cut line that gets a win, that makes Brad Keselowski the next vulnerable guy. So uh, I think that win for Michael McDowell was a big, big deal. And uh, it was crucial, and it does shake things up a little bit. And it does uh, put a little more pressure on Brad Keselowski, I think, at this stage, especially if there's another new winner at Watkins Glen. We'll see what happens. Bubba? Uh, Bubba. Brian, what are your
3: thoughts? <laughs> um, if I was Bubba, I'd probably be a little bit nervous about my playoff position, but fortunately I'm not. Um, but – yeah, no, I I think yeah, to to kinda of clarify my initial thoughts, yeah, it wasn't a surprise to me that McDowell won, but I think just how dominant he was, you know, him being in contention all day I think would have been, you know, normal and expected top five, top ten and maybe getting a win with a late caution, but just absolutely dominant in that race over how good some of these other guys have been on road courses or late. But it's just been impressive what he's done, right? I mean four hundred and fifty plus cup starts and he's finally, you know, grinded all those years and he's got a couple wins and those two wins have come at Daytona and albeit not the Oval, but at Indianapolis. I mean, there's probably no two more prestigious places to win on the Cup Series schedule these days, so um, maybe Darlington. So I think, you know, having those wins is awesome. Obviously, he's probably going to sleep a little bit better here these next couple weeks because you're right, Sharon, you pointed out there's a lot of guys that can win at Watkins Glen and also a lot of guys that obviously anyone can win at Daytona. But you've got Austin Sindrick, who's won there before. You've got Justin Haley, who's won there before. You've got Almendinger who's good there. You've got, obviously, Chase Elliott. I just feel like he's going to get a win one of these next two weeks. He's going to somehow get himself into the playoffs. I feel like that's just going to happen. So I think just a lot of guys there that that have a really good shot at picking up those wins and bumping out, you know, one or both of Bubba and Kozlowski at this point on the playoff bubble. So I definitely think it'll be, you know, a couple of must-see races at the cup level the next couple of weeks heading into the playoffs.
0: Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Yeah, Jay brought up a good point
2: about uh, shifting that that cutoff line. I was thinking in the context that Michael McDowell was already in that 16th give-or-take-a-couple-positions points battle, so it wasn't really a a big deal that he's in now and, and established himself on there. But I hadn't really thought about what that does with regard to the relative points positions of the drivers who are still fighting for that first win. And, Sharon, you also bring up a really good point about Brad Keselowski and Kevin Harvick, Remember last year, Martin Truex missed the playoffs, and I think he was, what, fourth or fifth in points, but he missed the playoffs Mm -hmm. even though he was that high in the point standings because he didn't have that win. Now we have Brad Keselowski and Kevin Harvick, who both have had fairly solid seasons like Martin Truex did last year, but they haven't been able to put their cars in victory lane so far this year. And their position is somewhat safe right now, given the fact that we've got a couple more points slots available in the playoffs. But we also have two races left. We've already highlighted that there's a very high likelihood that we could have one, potentially two, uh, new winners for this season this year uh, between Chase Elliott and Daniel Suarez. I would say are probably your two most likely contenders at Watkins Glen. And then, like we said, Bubba Wallace has been knocking on the door at Daytona. He had that Talladega win from a couple of years ago and has been knocking on the door at Daytona for several years right now. That 23 team has definitely got to have Daytona circle as probably their best opportunity. But don't forget, Brad Keselowski is also historically very good at restrictor plate-type racetracks as well. So don't count that sixth team out for not making it into victory lane at Daytona. Uh, the, uh, the RFK has been much, much quicker in the back half of the season so far. Chris Buescher put those back-to-back wins together, but even before those wins, both the 6 and the 17 have been showing speed all through the summer. So it wouldn't surprise me to see the 6 car in victory lane, especially at Daytona. It's going to be a very, very exciting couple of weeks here for NASCAR fans, and I can't wait to see it play out.
0: Okay, Jay? Okay.
1: All right, I'm going to 100% agree with Mike there in his last statement. Can't wait to see it play out. Uh, personally, I'd like to see Chase Elliott win at Watkins Glen because that just the intensity and wild cardness of Daytona is going to increase exponentially. Um, the desperation we'll see from some drivers. And as we were talking about it, I went back and I looked at the points. If that scenario plays out where it becomes a battle between Kevin Harvick and brad kozlowski they're six and the eighth in points they are only two points apart so if these two um we get these two new winners that's where the points battle would be and right now it stands at two points we'd have to see how it is coming out of watkins Glen and going into daytona but what that would add to daytona and i just think it would add to the the season what we've talked about As far as the next-gen car, I think for about three years now, we've really watched to see if we could get 16 different winners in the regular season and have maybe even 17 and have somebody have a win and not make it into the playoffs based on that. Um, I just think that would be really interesting to watch. I feel bad because I know somebody's going to have that win and not get in um, or be in that position, but I think that just adds to – the storyline of NASCAR, especially at the NASCAR top level, the premier level. Um, I think Chase Elliott um, going back to when Kyle Busch had to come back after an injury to see Chase Elliott, make it in the playoffs. I know we saw last year, uh, Mike brought it up. Martin tricks top driver, former champion, didn't make the playoffs. Jimmy Johnson, not advancing a few years back. That makes for an interesting storyline. NASCAR will survive if Chase Elliott don't make it, even though he's the most popular driver. But I'd like to see it and see him recover from it, just like Kyle Busch did. I think so many fans became fans of Kyle Busch when he overcame that. And that is a storyline I'd kind of like to see happen.
0: Yeah, it's hard to believe that NASCAR's most popular driver is an underdog right now, and everybody's kind of pulling for him uh, to get that victory so that he can make it into the playoffs. Uh, But I think you also bring up an excellent point, uh, Jay, that there's only a two-point difference between Kevin Harvick and Brad Keselowski. Both of those drivers are winless. So if Bubba Wallace gets bumped next week, you know he's going to be looking for that win at Daytona to put himself in and that could bounce out either Brad Keselowski or Kevin Harvick uh depending on how they finish at Watkins Glen and or Daytona. Uh as you know, a lot can happen and drivers can be taken out of the race uh due to no fault of their own. So <clears throat> again, it, I just stressed how important that win was what, for Michael McDowell. It takes a lot of the pressure off of him and uh, displaces that pressure back to uh, Bubba Wallace and then uh, Kevin Harvick and Ben Kozlowski with that two-point difference between them. So, uh, again, I'm with you guys. I can't wait to see how it all plays out in the next two races. Brian?
3: Yeah, I think a good point there, Sharon, that you brought up that I wasn't even looking, that Harvick and Kozowski were that close. I was kind of thinking Harvick was up so much on points he's in. But yeah, it would be a shame to see, obviously, him miss the playoffs in his final season. And I also agree with Jay, uh, Nascar will survive if Chase doesn't make the playoffs. I personally could care less one way or the other. However, you know, you it's like you would like to see the most popular guy make it from a fan and ratings perspective, but I also think it's an even better storyline that's going to have people really tuned in, in the next couple of weeks. And honestly, I mean, he's just hasn't had that great of a year. You know, he missed a race because of an injury. He hasn't run that well, in my opinion, um, especially given how well William Byron and others in the Hendrick camp have run this year. So, you know, does he really deserve to make it? I mean, not really. I mean, I guess, it, you know, it is what it is, but – yeah, down year for him. Unfortunate with the injury, and then obviously the one race suspension. But he's missed a lot of time. And uh, you know, I, I think you know NASCAR will go on if he doesn't make the playoffs. I definitely think it's going to be really fun to kind of watch these last few positions here, where we got what 13 drivers locked in with a win, and three open, um, three open positions, and two could be taken up with a win, and only one guy makes it on points. And that should really come down between you know Harvick and Kez. I would think one of those two is going to get in on points. They're they got a pretty big pretty big gap of over 100-plus points on, on Bubba. So I think Harvick or Brad are the ones that make it in on points if we do see two different two different winners in the next two weeks, which we very well could with, as we already mentioned, a host of guys that are more than capable of winning at
0: Watkins Glen and
3: really almost anybody in the field capable of winning at, at Daytona.
0: And that's provided Bubba Wallace isn't one of those winners.
3: <laughs> also true. <Okay. laughs> because he could definitely win Daytona. Probably not Watkins Glen, <laughs> maybe not the best road course racer, but – Hundred and ten percent. He's one of the one of the top favorites at Daytona, especially if those Toyota hook up and run well together.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay, we'll let that be the final word. And Mike, you get to bring up our next hot topic.
2: I thought this was super super cool. What NASCAR did? They launched a new site this week, Classics dot NASCAR dot com, where you can see almost the entire. NASCAR Cup Series archival content, every race, or most, uh, mostly every race dating back to the 1950s, is now available for free at classics.nascar.com.
0: Okay, Jay, your thoughts about that? Well, this is one of, of
1: it's not my forte, uh, I'm not a streamer, and, yeah, occasionally when they have the classic races on, I will put it on if I'm not watching something else. But I know there are fans out there that that are, um, and this provides that for them. I think it is huge for that of making it available for those who don't want to see it. There are certainly a couple that I would highlight to go back and watch um, if I could pick out and choose. So I, I think it is a cool thing, and I think it's, a, it's huge for the direction we're looking at. I think this ties into what we're looking at for the new TV package deal too, the streaming device um, platform that we expect to be a part of the package deal. So I think this might be a way of, of NASCAR kind of feeling out how that would work um, and what kind of numbers they get to it. So I think it is a very important thing. Like I said, it's not necessarily my thing. That's not how I choose to spend my time, but it is for some and that to have that available, I think is a huge move by NASCAR.
0: Brian, do you have that?
3: Yeah, I think that's um, you know, really awesome that that is available in such a nice format. And I've I've seen people say that I guess just you know picture quality and stuff is better than what you can get out there on YouTube for stuff as well. So I think that makes it awesome because obviously you know we might like to go back and watch some of those old races, but I think some of us have been pretty spoiled by how high tech and great all the TVs are these days, and maybe it's not as fun to go back and watch. I'm a little bit with Jay and that. I'm not a huge watcher of old races, given it just doesn't really do it for me if I already know who wins the damn thing, but it is pretty cool, and I'd love to maybe go back and watch a few of those classic ones, or at least a few of those ones from like the late 90s when I first started getting into racing, and maybe was a little bit too young to understand exactly what all was was going on in even some of those races, so kind of cool and probably uh, something that I'll probably delve into a little bit in cold Midwest winter months when we don't have anything else uh, better to do and can't be outside, so looking forward to maybe checking that out. you know, playing around in there a little bit. I definitely think it's it's a good thing, and uh, I'm excited about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'm going to kind of add to this is I think this is awesome when you think about the 75-year history of NASCAR and how, you know, even movies. Sometimes uh, the movie industry is struggling to keep some of the older movies uh, that are out there. And NASCAR has put together the top 75 greatest races here, uh, as well as you, you can go all the way back to 1948 uh, uh, that are available. And I think it's fantastic. Uh, and to use the quality that they're using, it's the latest quality uh, that's available right now. And uh, I think it's, it's uh, a really good to preserve all of that rich history of NASCAR in this way. I think it's, you know, uh, one of the best things they've ever done. Um, Also, there's a part of me that wonders, and I'm totally speculating here. We talked about it a little bit when we talked about streaming on the CW, uh, NASCAR having their own network. Maybe they're looking at the possibility of having their own streaming service uh, for the NASCAR races. Uh, and maybe this is a step in that direction, especially when you think about the quality that they've used to to put all of these races out there uh, for fans to watch. And it's free. You don't have to pay for this. Uh, that's the most amazing thing, I think, about this. Uh, I think it's fantastic, but I don't know how long it's going to be free. If At some point, we're going to be looking at a NASCAR streaming service uh, where you can tune in and see the races, and maybe you've got to pay a yearly fee to do that. But um, I think it's interesting to see NASCAR doing this, and, and I see some potential. Uh, whether or not it happens, that's yet to be seen, It's pure speculation on my part, but Mike, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, we've always looked at this in the context of you and I just sitting on the couch and watching an old race from from back in the day. But another angle here that I think is not getting noticed as much is the availability of this content now to third-party content creators, uh, whether that be YouTube uh, broadcast networks or whatnot. They have a massive archive of information and video available for them to create that content to help broadcast the sport some of the more popular NASCAR content on YouTube is those top ten uh, uh, version of, hey, these are the top ten Jeff Gordon moments in NASCAR. And now all that, that, that video content is readily available for these content creators to create their own content with what NASCAR has provided them um, in order to help broadcast the sport get it out to more people and hopefully grow the uh, the, the people watching the sport in real time week over week. Tune in this weekend to watch Watkins Glen for the uh, the NASCAR Cup Series, not just the archive races that have uh, been put
1: online.
0: Okay. Uh, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah,
1: I think Mike brought up a good point. I was kind of thinking about there, if you're right. I think it does then reach a – potential new market not not new market but new demographic uh if you will um and some i know like Dale jr i mean he talks about it he does a lot of going back and watching older races so you know there are people out there that do it and that's great for them i will give nascar a huge props having been through the broadcasting school to go back and put together just any kind of package of previous footage is no easy task and for them to have all of that archived and put together and then, Sharon, you brought up a really good point of it may even be NASCAR that's looking at doing their own streaming. We were talking about what, who they're going to give the rights to if they go down that avenue. It may be that, that, that they're looking at doing their own, which uh, I think is huge. Uh, I know I've seen it with the WWE Network when they did it. I mean, that is a huge um, marketing process. And for NASCAR to be even putting their toe in it or starting it and doing it with this um, is a huge undertaking. I know they said they'd be producing all of this stuff for the CW network. They have that capability. But to go back and do this, I, I can only imagine the amount of time and man hours and what it went behind it. Um, so good on them. Like I said, uh, I, I may not be the one using it, but there again, I've got to give Brian props of bringing something up during the winter months and that we don't have as cold a winter down here as you, as you do up uh, back home when Minnesota up that way. But, you know, during the off season, you're right. That might be the opportunity where I do more. So uh, maybe even especially as we lead into the beginning of the season to get excited and pumped up for that next season. So it definitely will be utilized.
0: Okay. Brian, your thoughts.
3: Yeah. I think that's kind of hit all the points there really, really well. I, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a tough call. Do you want NASCAR to have their own streaming service? Do you not? Do we want to pay an additional fee in addition to, I don't even know how many streaming services I subscribe to anymore these days, but I think personally, I would love to have a place where it's just NASCAR all the time. That's where you go. Um, you know, that's that would be my preference. Um, yeah, a little bit of cost maybe, but if you get a really good quality product out of it, that would be awesome. I do kind of think that's the way things are going with, you know, their new production facility, they're opening, doing some of this stuff. I definitely could see that happening here um, as we get into the new uh, TV contract coming up. So we'll see how that goes, but definitely think, um, I think that's another step in the right direction.
0: And, and Brian, I'm not so sure it would actually be more cost. I think that right now I pay for Hulu TV or you pay for cable TV what if you could ditch your cable TV or Hulu TV or wherever you have your streaming, uh, TV service? I don't really watch TV except to watch the NASCAR races. So if I could get a streaming service from NASCAR to watch all of the races, uh, through that one streaming service, uh, <clears throat> I think that would probably save me money. Uh, but, uh, I, I think it would be a good direction for NASCAR to go, and uh, I I like the idea. And, again, I just want to point out, I'm totally speculating uh, that this could be where this is all headed. Uh, I have no insider information. I just think it would be a great idea if they did it. Mike?
2: I think you guys are onto something here. I, again, I'm, a speculation, but between the release of all the archival races as well as the previously announced deal where NASCAR Productions will be doing the broadcasting of the Xfinity Series on the CW starting with the 2025 season. I think you guys might be right that this is kind of a setup for NASCAR to somewhat take control of their own media back from the uh, the broadcast networks really uh, over the past decade or two. NASCAR has had very little control of how their product has been presented to fans. It's been done by third parties, Fox and NBC primarily, uh, over the past few years. Um, and NASCAR has only had, at best, a secondary role. It may be that NASCAR is mo- trying to move more into a, uh, a leading role in terms of broadcasting their own product to the fans. So I think the next thing we're going to really find out is when the, when the new TV deals are announced, I think we're going to see uh, this integrated with that a little bit more. What and how it's going to be integrated, I don't know. But one more plug for classics.nascar.com I think is a great place for, uh, for fans who want to catch up. Maybe you, uh, maybe you missed the sport for a few years. You got out of watching it. It's a great opportunity to go back and catch up on some of those classic races you may have missed while you were away. So a real a big tip of the hat to NASCAR for doing this one. I think they, uh, they did a, a great job and really uh, benefited the fans with that. Uh,
0: absolutely. Okay, Uh, Jay, what's our next hot topic?
1: I don't know. Uh, we got several such good ones listed under here. Uh, I was just looking at that as we were wrapping this one up. I'm going to go with, uh, they had another test there at Indianapolis, and drivers are are calling for the NASCAR to take the underbody, all of the underbody, away from the next-gen car. They think that's the next step in the evolution of the next-gen car.
0: Yeah, Brian, what are your thoughts there?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately when it comes to kind of some of the more engineering technology, things like that, I'll defer to what the drivers and the engineers have to say in a lot of cases. If they think that'll help improve the racing, improve the product, all for it. Um, I definitely kind of, while we talk on the Indy Oval, I definitely think uh, the Oval could, should, would, hopefully will come back next year. I do kind of like the idea of maybe rotating it every year or every couple of years as well, making it a little bit more, you know, unique and not a year-after-year-after-year thing. But I definitely think we need to have the old back on the cup schedule at some point in time sooner rather than later.
0: Okay, Mike, your your thoughts about the uh, drivers wanting that underbody of the next-gen car gone.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure how much they can actually remove from it. I We've seen just from the underside of the cars that it's a pretty integral part of the construction of the car. So, yes, they can take the front splitter off. They probably can take the rear uh, diffuser section off. But other than that, I'm not sure exactly what they can do. And keep in mind, that entire car was designed and built with all that underbody as part of the structure on there as well. So you may have some unintended consequences in terms of other aerodynamic problems, safety issues in terms of uh, energy absorption in a crash, things like that. That may be something that's uh, that's a little bit more complicated than maybe some uh, some drivers are thinking about when they say things like take the underbody off of the car. Um, again, I'm not an engineer. I've never worked on a, a, a Gen 7 NASCAR Cup Series car, so don't don't act like I really know what I'm talking about here. I'm just kind of speculating, um, but. It's nice that they're at least looking, between the tests that they did at Richmond as well as Indianapolis, it's nice that they're at least looking at ways to improve the racing, particularly on short tracks with the Gen 7 car. I hope they find something. It sounds like they're still struggling to really land on something that that makes a, a big difference and improves the racing product. But hopefully they continue poking at this thing and they figure it out. With regard to going back to the Indianapolis Oval, it's pretty much an open secret at this point. Uh, if you listen to, uh, to Denny Hamlin's podcast this week, Danny and Michael McDowell were discussing it like it was a foregone conclusion that the Cup Series will be going back to the Oval next year. I think it's just a matter of exactly how that's going to be implemented. Uh, so wait and see for probably the next month or so, maybe two months, we're going to get the 2024 schedule announced. But it sounds like the Indianapolis Oval is almost a foregone conclusion on that. What kind of car they're going to bring there? We're just going to have to wait and see.
0: Okay, I, I think you got to be careful when you're when drivers are asking for something. It's a very complex thing that NASCAR needs to look at. Um, I know some of the drivers in that article that was posted indicated that they felt that the car was actually accomplishing exactly what NASCAR intended the car to accomplish, uh, and that is to even the playing field so that drivers like a Michael McDowell can go out there and win races. And And so from that perspective, I think uh, at least some of the drivers are feeling like NASCAR has gotten exactly what they're looking for. Um, and I agree with you, Mike, if you take off that underbody, what are the unintended consequences of doing that? Uh, is there going to be another problem that arises? And I think there's a reason why NASCAR put that underbody on there. And that was to prevent any tampering uh you know, before the race begins or during the race or any other time. So NASCAR has to be very, very careful about considering this and whether or not it's the right move for what their intentions are for this car. Um, On the other hand, I understand NASCAR drivers' frustration because they have even the playing field with the next-gen car it's very, very hard for these drivers to find a way to pass one another, and that's why they're asking for that. They want to make it easier to pass. Personally, I think they need to look at other ways to do it. I think that they, NASCAR needs to stick to their guns and keep that underbody on there uh, for the reasons that they have it there. Um, and, Mike, you brought up there's other parts that they can look at to make modifications, to that might help the driver's make it easier for them to make that passing. I know the drivers have presented their case and, and reasons why they think that that should change, um, but I think NASCAR has to be very, very careful uh, when considering some of those changes because I do think there will be some, under, some uh, unintended consequences if they took the underbody off of that car. So personally, I think they need to look at other ways to do it besides that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, with regard to IndyCar and the Oval, um, I do feel like uh, they are headed toward the Oval. They did some testing on the Oval uh, after the road course race there this past week. And uh, it, it looks to me like they're looking to, to go back to the Oval. I think we talked about this a little bit. They might want to take the road course out at Indianapolis and at Charlotte in order to make room to have other road courses on the schedule or different road courses on the schedule. So, uh, I think the, from that perspective, it might be a good move. I think, uh, as far as the Goodyear uh, tire debacle that happened a few years back, um, I, I think that they found some solutions there, uh, Again, we'll have to see how the racing goes with this car on the oval. I don't think, it, with other than the testing that took place there, and even that is somewhat limited in knowing how it's going to perform in race conditions, I think we have to see a race there first to be able to decide if we really want to keep it on the oval at Indianapolis. So, Jay, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, my first thought is we have a great team here at Fan for Racing because when you go forth on a topic, uh, all you can say is, yeah, you made a good point. You made a good point. You made a good point. So uh, we'll start with Brian. I'm not an engineer. NASCAR hires some great engineers. I'm not one of them. So i got to leave it in their hands. I appreciate the driver's feedback and what they think. But you got to remember, our drivers are selfish. Uh, so keep that in mind. And, Sharon, you and Mike both hit on it. You take it away, what are the consequences you're not seeing yet that maybe the drivers aren't looking at because all they're looking at is the one thing of give me back what I want. Um, So I think they do need to uh, look at it real carefully, which I'm sure they will take into consideration. I think it's a matter of tweaking, not taking it away, but maybe tweaking. I know they talked about some different things that can be done with the way it is now to modify it, not take it away, but modify it. And it comes down to again, always that lead car having such an advantage in creating the dirty air with the diffuser. That was a big part of that. So I don't think we want to lose that um, as, as one of the things. I know that, and I don't, I don't want to misquote a driver, one of the drivers talked about the fact that with the uh, bigger tire now, you got more grip there, so some of that can come away from the um, underbody. That was one of the ones maybe when NASCAR said, hey, we're going to do both, they didn't see the, the unintended consequences that it was too much. So I just don't want to see them go back too far in the other direction. So like I said, I think they need to look at it, maybe make some modifications um, and tweaks to it to improve. And one of the areas that has improved for sure, I think everybody agrees, is on the mile-and-a-half, two-mile tracks, which brings us into going back to the Indianapolis era. Ro- oval kind of a a square oval um you're right i think it is pretty much a done deal they're going to revisit it i'm with brian i think maybe every couple of years i don't know if every year every other year is the right move but sharon mentioned of if we're going to add new road courses such as canada's been back on the uh, table anyway as far as going to another road courses these ones they manufactured like the charlotte roval which again they did because The one uh, mile and a half track was kind of redundant. They have two races there and it wasn't the best of racing. If we got better package now in the mile and a half, they can go back to it. Um, So I think that NASCAR has a lot on their plate to look at and really research before they make any uh, knee jerk reactions. Um, But I appreciate, like I said, the drivers giving their feedback. NASCAR is going to take and look at, okay, drivers want this. We want this. The fans want this. Let's find that middle ground
0: okay brian your follow-up
3: yeah i think on the underbodies your your words use it first with unintended consequences i think that's the best way to, to say it whenever they think of any major change especially um when it comes to the engineering of the car um and then i think um on the tracks uh, again great point on you know if they're going to add another road course i do think they need to take one road or street course take one away they're at what seven now i think that's enough. I don't think there needs to be more than that, and obviously it's been rumored that they might go race in Canada next year um, on a, a road or street circuit up there, so obviously that'll add another one to the schedule. I do think you got to take one away, and I think Indy makes sense to do that um, from that standpoint, so I do think that that would be a great potentially rumored change as well, um, and then, yeah, to Jay says, whenever you go forth, it is really hard to come up with anything new. It's tough to come up with anything new when we go back around the table sometimes, too, but I think uh, you guys all really made some great points.
0: Mike?
2: I find it really interesting that they're talking about making these aerodynamic changes to the car in the context of the Indianapolis Oval. Um, The problems that we've seen in terms of racing with the Gen 7 car have primarily been on the short tracks. The intermediates, like Jay said, have been, by and large, very, very good races. There's been a couple, and not so wonderful, but by and large, the, the Gen 7 cars accomplished what they wanted to do, which was improve the racing product on those mile-and-a-half intermediates. Indianapolis, of course, is a two-and-a-half-mile track of the oval configuration, but it certainly races more like an intermediate, uh, and maybe even elements of like a, a flat, shorter track versus the, the two-and-a-half-mile, longer tracks. Probably the closest analog to Indianapolis, maybe like a Pocono, something like that. And the racing that we saw at Pocono a couple weeks ago was outstanding. So I'm not sure how much uh, they really need to tweak the car for an Indianapolis Oval race, especially not having actually seen one in action. Maybe if we get there next year and the racing is uh, uninspiring as it was before we left the Oval River, Uh, We went to the Indianapolis road course because it was year after year after year, very, very, very poor racing on the oval. Uh, So that's why they went to the the road course. But now we're in a completely different car that races completely differently than the previous generation car that we had the last time we were running on the oval. So I would be very cautious about making a knee-jerk reaction uh, in terms of modifying the car to run on the Indianapolis oval based on only a test between – half a dozen cars or less that they've had on the track so far. We really need to see how this runs in race conditions with all 40-ish cars on the racetrack before we start saying that we need to make major changes to the car. We certainly have a problem with the short track package, but that's a completely different discussion versus the potential return to the Indianapolis Oval. And we shouldn't conflate the two because, one solution may not be a one size fits all for for all circumstances here. Certainly not when you're talking about a short track like Martinsville or Richmond versus a two and a half mile flat oval like Indianapolis.
0: Exactly, and and I I think that's like you said. Everybody is bringing up really great points. Um, I just want to add. The only thing I'll add to it is that we. I think NASCAR and we as fans, we want the drivers to give their feedback. But I think in this particular case, I think that uh, changing the underbody would go counterproductive to what NASCAR's intention was for that underbody to begin with. I think what NASCAR needs to go back and ask the drivers is what specifically, if if we don't take the underbody away, what can we do? Uh, we're going to keep the underbody. So you, you need to look at other ways in order to make that happen and look for drivers to give you feedback on that. Um, but I think NASCAR needs to hold strong on that uh, because they're, they they had an intention for putting it there. And I don't want them to lose sight of what their original intention was for having the underbody. Um, but, uh, uh I, And again, I just think we have to see a race with this next gen car at Indianapolis before we make a determination as to whether or not we want to come back all the time. And Brian, you brought up a great point. If if the racing is uninspiring this year, uh, then rotate it around and and you know change it up every couple of years or so. Um, but yeah, I, I I I just don't want to. Prejudge it before we see a race with this next-gen car on D&D road course. Jay?
1: Well, a new point to make, I guess, would be that uh, we are so well at taking words right out of somebody else's mouth. I know it's gone around (laughs) in different directions, Sharon. You got me today. Uh, Asking drivers what it is they want that they think taking away the underbody would do and NASCAR trying to find a different way to give that to the drivers while keeping the underbody. I think that's a, a very important thing to look at of how can we do that? The other thing I look at is that you remember with the next gen car, the point was to have a car that would race on every track so that teams didn't have to spend money on developing a short track car, a super speedway car, a road course car. Um, so there again, I know we kind of toyed with that of having different packages, at least the engine and spoiler package They've even gone away from that. So I think there, too, while they're trying to improve the short track aspect of this next-gen car, you don't want to take away from what has been good on the mile and a half or bigger tracks. So that's why I say NASCAR is really going to look at it of what can they do without hurting one, finding that happy medium across all of them. You're never going to have a car. I mean, we talk about some tracks of uh, Poconoa. I know is one, obviously, with three turns. They said it's three different turns. Your car is never going to be happy in all three. So with three different short track intermediate super speedways, actually four road courses now, finding a medium where it's decent on all of them, you can make the difference on then what you need to on the different aspects of it. So put it, that puts it more in the driver's hand. Uh, I think there may be some things, like I said, that they can tweak on with the underbody, but I'm not an engineer. So hopefully they'll figure that out But if not, as Sharon said, look at what else can we do elsewhere to give the drivers what they're looking for.
0: Okay. Uh, We've got about 15 minutes left. Brian, do you have anything else you want to make sure we touch on?
3: I think I have one here. It's pretty quick, and I think we'll probably all come to the same consensus. But um, the trucks um, went with live pit stops at IRP, and they plan to do so again coming up at the Milwaukee Mile. Um, in a couple of weeks, or actually next weekend. So what do we think on that kind of coming back after not having um, live pit stops at some of the standalone races over the last several years?
0: Okay, Mike, your thoughts?
2: I think it's a great change. I really, I understand why they went to the non-competitive pit stops. It was a cost issue. Uh, It's very expensive to train, maintain, and transport pit crews to races. And most of those truck teams, they're using – uh, Cup Series pit crews that are working on the, uh, the Truck Series races as well. So when the Truck Series is somewhere other than uh, a you know, co-located race with the Cup Series, it becomes an issue of where do you get the pit crew from? Do you fly the Cup Series pit crews? from wherever they are that weekend over to where the trucks are, or do you come up with some other sort of solution? But I think the benefit outweighs the the cost here, especially when it comes to the playoffs. We talk a lot about how NASCAR racing is a team sport. It's very much a team sport, right? Well, a big part of that is the pit crews. And, yes, it's expensive, it's costly to these teams in order to have it, but especially for the playoffs, I think it's so important to have that team aspect there and that the competitive nature of the pit stops, the make-or-break nature of how a team performs on pit road, I think it's, it's really too important to lose that for the playoffs. So I'm really glad that NASCAR made that move at IRP as well as Milwaukee to bring competitive pit stops back to those standalone truck series races despite the cost of it. I think we as fans benefit just too much from that.
0: Okay, Jay, your thoughts.
1: Well, I'm gonna sound like a parrot, but I agree with Mike. Uh, again, he made all the points that that were in my head anyway, of understanding the cost saving uh, measure to it and what the intent was. But and I want to say it was during the Xfinity series when they went to the rain tires. Even the teams uh, they interviewed a crew chief. They made them, They had them stopped on pit road. I think they were under the lightning delay. And then we're going to go to the rain tires rather than start them out and bring them in and do live pit stops. They had them do it while they were already under that, that stop. And one of the crew chiefs interviewed said, man, I understand why NASCAR's doing it, but I'm upset because I know we got a pit crew and can make up some time. He wanted the live pit stop. And there they had the crews there. It was just a matter of NASCAR decided to go that route with it. I'm with it. That adds such an element. We saw it, unfortunately, with Daniel Suarez this past weekend, the, the hose getting caught under the tire. So many things can happen and affect a race with, with a pit stop, and that's part of it. Mike highlighted it's a team sport. I know we talk about the drivers and they get the attention, uh, no different than a quarterback maybe for a football team or a pitcher on a, on a baseball team. But it is a team sport, and that is such a huge element. So I am thrilled with this. I wish they did it at all their races. I understand, again, the teams uh, from financial aspect, it's a burden on them, and this helps. But I think from the racing aspect of it, the team aspect of it, it's an important integral part. So anytime they can do it, I think they should.
0: Okay, and that's a a critical statement right there. Anytime they can do it, they should. Because I agree with you, live pit stops are the ideal situation uh, for the truck series. However, uh, again, I don't like raining on anybody's parade, but keep in mind, the Milwaukee Mile will have live pit stops unless the Cup race Saturday night at Daytona in a couple weeks is rained out to that Sunday. And then Milwaukee is also on Sunday. So that would cause them to have modified pit stops because planes for crews would still be in Daytona. It's impossible logistically for people to be in two places at one time. So there's more than cost that is associated here. There is also the logistical side of this. And I think that that is a lot of it uh why NASCAR is not able to have people be in two places at one time. So in those cases, I think they have to go to the modified pit stops. As much as we don't like to see it during the playoffs, NASCAR would have to create a schedule that would make that not happen. And then you've got the rain that can impact that. So logistically, sometimes it's just not Possible, and that's one thing that I think we as fans kind of need to keep in mind about these live pit stops. Yeah, we want them, we, we like seeing them. It's the best situation under the best. Um, it's under the best circumstances, but sometimes it's just not possible. Brian.
3: Don't cool using that dreaded R word, Sharon. Especially since I'm going to be at Milwaukee and I definitely want to watch Daytona. But no, you're right. I yeah, know. No, that was going kind of But yeah, I mean, you guys said everything that I had to say on it. Especially being a playoff race, there's only seven playoff races in the Truck Series. You can't have one of those seven not have the crews. Especially when the reason some of those guys are in there and doing so well is because their crews are so good. So definitely the right call. Obviously, yes, it's more expensive. Um, but I think, you know, especially for the playoff races, you've gotta have, you got to have kind of that fair playing field across the board.
0: Mike, do you follow up?
2: Really not much more to add there. Uh, the, 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 the thing about the, the non-competitive, the modified pit stops, however you want to call it, um, not only does it take the team aspect away, but it really kills the momentum of the race. So, I under, like I said before, I understand why they went down that road, but I really wish that they would figure out a way to – to go away from the non-competitive bid stuff, not just for the playoffs, but back in a in regular season as well for the trucks and the Xfinity series. Again, I understand the, the, the cost issue of it, but in terms of what it does to the momentum of the race, it really, really knocks it off the rails. So hopefully they're able to figure out something. I don't know what that something would be, but get us back to competitive pit stops and make those races a team sport, even when they're not in the same town as the NASCAR Cup Series, make the truck series and the Xfinity Series back to the team sport that it always was.
0: Okay, Jay? Jay?
1: Yeah, pretty much same follow up, and I know it's a, we go back to the previous one of the previous hot topics. You know, the drivers want one thing, NASCAR is saying, ah, we can't give you that, but here's what we can do. I think they need to find that happy medium um, to minimize or bring down at least that. Uh, I know that some of these teams, such as say Joe Gibbs Racing, have their primary crews as well as backup ones. Um, that's an alter- alternative that these teams could go to, and I understand the cost to it, but. That is what the sport was built on. I mean, you go back even to talking about watching some of these uh, retro races on the uh, streaming that they have now. I mean, Pickers was a huge part of it. Uh, You know, I I think back to uh, Junior Johnson and some of the things they did on pit stops um, that kind of created it. Ray Everham made a huge change when he came through and how the Rainbow Warriors operated We saw it this year with Joe Gibbs Racing and which side of the car they did first as far as what other teams followed. The pickers play such a huge role. And you want to see that in the truck series as well um, when it comes to that. So at least explore other avenues. Um, You know, the teams maybe can work together when it comes to transporting them. You know, if one team is a little better funded and they bring a plane. Let some of the other teams on that plane, you know, again, so it's a a competitive thing, but everybody's got the the same possible um, option when it comes to that. Uh, As far as that, I'm with Mike. I got no other necessary solutions, but really do think it's important and want to see it.
0: Well, Jay, I think you took the words out of my mouth this time. I think the solution could be allow the truck series to have their own pit crews. Instead of using pit crews from the other teams, uh, the cup or the Xfinity series teams, let the truck series have their own teams that travel with them when they go to the races. That way they have that consistency. They have a true team uh, behind them at every single race. Use the cost, uh, spend the money on hiring the pit crew. And, um, and giving them that consistency throughout the regular season as well as the playoffs. Why uh, use, I, I understand why they're trying to save money, but it, 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 you're sacrificing the pit stops uh, the, and, and uh, the consistency of the pit stops for the entire season. So I'd say spend that money on hiring the pit crew. Give them that consistency throughout the year and let the teams have their their team. Um, and, and the Cup Series, let them have their team. Uh, and build the depth by having backups. If somebody can't make it, then you've got a backup person to be in that spot. Um, and maybe that person uh, can be, uh, you know, who fills in if somebody's not able to do it but I think that's the solution. I think the truck series deserves to have their own pit crews. Brian.
3: Uh, yeah, that's a unique idea um, as well, having that be specialized. I mean, I think on the flip side, you'd have, um, you know, you guys that take a little longer, maybe to make it to the top level or maybe struggle a little bit more when they're at the top level, not having as much of that live training, but I do kind of like that from a uniqueness standpoint. I don't know how that would change things on a cost standpoint. I don't exactly know how it how it works with those guys getting paid that are dipping down from the cup to pit trucks and things like that. Uh, I've heard a little bit, but not knowledgeable enough to really speak on that publicly anyway. But I think, um, you know, interesting interesting thing that I, I would be on board with if, if teams were and it was cost effective enough.
0: Yeah, I know that the downside of it is that some teams might not be able to afford to have their own pit crew, but... We're talking about spending the money on sending people back and forth, use that money instead for the their own teams. Okay, we are at the top of the hour, getting close to the top of the hour, so let's go ahead and start our roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you.
2: Sure, it can be Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit, I'm uh, really, really looking forward to the racing this weekend at Watkins Glen. It's one of my favorite racetracks. It's a beautiful facility, very historic, and the racing there has always been really, really good. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to watch it all on DVR because I'm racing myself this weekend uh, at Columbus Air Force Base. We're doing a, uh, autocross SCCA autocross at Columbus Air Force Base this weekend, so uh, that's where I'm going to be, sweating it, uh, sweating it out and uh, watching the racing this weekend uh, in the evening on the couch on DVR.
0: Okay,
3: Brian. Oh, yeah, the best way to follow along is on Twitter at beverly 18 um, I second Mike's thoughts. I'm super excited for Watkins Glen. I mean, obviously, I think we're all old enough on here to know when there were only two road courses on the schedule and you had, you know, that was one of the two and it was super, super special. Um, so definitely always enjoy the road course races still. Um, personally, um weather's supposed to be pretty beautiful here, so I think I will have a hard time staying inside and watching it live, but – uh, may have to bring the laptop out to the pool and or uh, pull a mic and watch it um, on DVR later at night and try to avoid any live updates. But, yeah, really looking forward to the racing this weekend. And then uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but really looking forward to the Milwaukee Mile next weekend with the ARCA truck
1: doubleheader on Sunday.
0: Okay, Jay.
1: Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, mj 8 on Twitter and Instagram And I know when we started, Sharon and I talked about having busy weeks, the way everything has gone. I'm going to have a busy weekend again. It might be that I can get out to a racetrack on Saturday night. And if I do, that would be the House of Hook. Chris Crichton down there with the Southern Street Stock Nationals. Uh, Past couple of years, they've had 300-plus cars there for this weekend. I know teams were already coming down there on Wednesday night to get ready for practice on Thursday. Such a huge event here in the south in Mississippi. So if you get the chance, uh, like I said, hopefully I can get out there Saturday night.
0: Okay. And uh, first of all, I want to give my personal thanks to our entire families and crew here. Uh, You guys were so flexible this week. We tried uh, to do a podcast on Monday, and uh, there were phone issues uh, with our provider. Uh, Then we tried to do it again on Tuesday. There were still phone issues with our our, uh, service. Uh, And so... Uh, we were not able to do that review show as we had, uh, planned to do. And Jay, thank you so much. We packed in everything, uh, today with the review and the preview, uh, of the previous week as well as the upcoming weekend. And, uh, the flexibility is certainly appreciated, uh, by me, uh, and by all of you. Uh, your flexibility means a lot to me. So thank you so much for that. Um, and then also, I am Banff Racing site on Twitter, Banff Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including the website com. We do have a player there, but you can all tunes, uh, tune in, iHeartRadio, uh, Amazon uh, Ray, podcast. Uh, we're available in a lot of different resources. Uh, where you can hear our podcast. So uh, we we encourage everybody to do that. Uh, We appreciate all of our listeners, whether you're listening to our live broadcast or a podcast. Uh, It really means a lot to all of us. Also, uh, Monday night, we are planning to do another live broadcast with Sal Segala for the review of the Weekend of Racing uh, for Watkins Glen as well as Evergreen Speedway for the ARCA West. And um, they've also, the ARCA Menards Series is doing a double header. Not only are they racing at Watkins Glen this weekend, but after the race on Friday, they're heading to the Illinois State Fairgrounds for the ARCA Menards Series race there. So uh, it's a big weekend in ARCA this weekend. And so a lot of racing going on. I encourage everybody to get out to the track to see those races. And um, uh, I, I, like everybody else, I'm looking forward to a big weekend of racing this weekend. I can't wait uh, to see what happens at Watkins Glen and Daytona, uh, because I think uh, it's really going to shake things up, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Okay, with that, guys, I think uh, we're ready to call it a wrap here at them. Vamp- enjoy your race weekend and what do you guys have to say
2: have a good
1: one enjoy the weekend have a great weekend everybody